engine running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. It's election day. Polls close in two hours. Well, just under two hours. Uh, Head on out. Uh, You got until 7 o'clock to vote. Uh, I have to tell you, voting was heavier in the precincts where I live than I have ever seen it, except uh, during the 2016 election. Even uh, the 2012 uh, presidential election, I did not see turnout as heavy as it was today. Very, very heavy turnout. Uh, Anecdote is not evidence, but these anecdotes are trickling in throughout the state that um, voting lines have been very, very heavy and steady throughout the day, uh, even in the rain. Uh, That is an interesting sign for what had been a mostly fly-under-the-radar election season. Uh, Someone out there has been doing a really good under-the-radar ground game to get people to turn out to vote. Uh, We will find out in probably three hours we will start seeing the votes come in. Hopefully by 10 p.m. we will know something. I will be here with you until we know definitively the winners, um, we hope. Uh, and hopefully we'll be done by midnight, but we're planning on being here for the long haul. And I want to say this um, before I get into the, the main part of the news here. Our Republican institutions, our Democratic institutions, they're, they're, they've been under attack for a while by the Russians, by our lack of faith in the system, um, by a bunch of cynical people who believe that they can manipulate and control the processes. The only way to beat them is to vote. And I mean that intentionally, and I pause intentionally for you to process that. We have in this country since um, 2016, really even before that, we have seen outside forces try to manipulate us, try to pit us against each other, and try to corrupt our processes in our elections, in our democracy, within the Republican institutions of this nation. And the only way to fight back against them that you can do is to go vote, to make your voice heard. We are fortunate to live in a state where it is very, very difficult, if not impossible, to hack our systems. There are lots of hysterical people claiming otherwise. I know these systems. I was a lawyer um, back when they were looking at these systems. I was working with the Secretary of State's office. We have a good system. But our system fails at one point. And that point is you. If you don't go vote, then you do allow the outside forces to win through cynicism. So if you haven't voted yet, you have until 7 o'clock. I hope I can guilt you into going to vote. I don't care who you vote for. I care that you vote. Our system depends on it. And so go do your part to prop up the American way. Y'all, okay, let me let me focus on Washington because we're going to have the whole night on the elections. The White House uh, is organizing a meeting between justice officials and white and GOP lawmakers. It's going to be Thursday. It was originally going to be this evening, but because of the elections around the country, particularly the Texas elections, a lot of the Republican leaders in the House are members of the Texas delegation. They didn't want to do it tonight. They have put it off until Thursday. They're not inviting Democrats, and the reason they're not inviting Democrats Democrats is because they don't trust Adam Schiff and others not to run out and leak things to the media. You know, Devin Nunes, I'm not a big fan of his, honestly, but he gets a lot of blame for a lot of hysteria, leaks, and otherwise um, nonsense. But the fact of the matter is Democrats are the ones leaking to the media. 
There is a lot to be said for an intentional fog operation on the part of partisans who support the president. There is, I know some of you don't want to hear it, but for example, let me just take you one story. Um, there's the story that um, that Andrew McCabe and James Comey probably leaked the story of Mr. Halper to CNN and others because Andrew McCabe, in a memo, said to James Comey that CNN had the story. The odds are actually very good that CNN got the story from Fusion GPS. And the reason McCabe knew about it is not because he leaked. He did leak other stuff. We know he leaked other stuff, but the inspector general doesn't believe he leaked any of this stuff. The reason McCabe would know about it is because the CNN reporter called him to either confirm or deny that the dossier was there. And that Halper was was had been an informant of the FBI. The FBI did not leak the stuff. Go read the inspector. Don't you don't have to take my word for any of this. That's the great thing about it. A lot of the people who are spinning the conspiracy theories are hoping you won't read the documents yourselves. Go read the documents yourselves. Much of it is hysteria. The problem is that partisans on both sides are trying to confuse the issue. There very much was a partisan witch hunt within the FBI to go after Donald Trump. There absolutely were partisans involved. The question is, did the partisans shape things negatively? And the question is also, what did the Russians do? Because as much as I don't think that the Russians were able to steal the election, as much as I don't think that the president collaborated with the Russians, as much as I don't think anyone's going to be able to uh, show collusion between the president and the Russians, I also don't think anyone's going to be able to show that the partisanship within the FBI shaped the investigation. What shaped the investigation, and again, you can read all of this for yourself, what shaped the investigation is that there was signal intelligence, that is wire intercepts and things like that, signal intelligence that the Russians were trying to shape the election and that ultimately the Russians to try to, tried to shape the election for Donald Trump. The media, though, is misreporting the whole idea that Vladimir Putin wanted Donald Trump to win. He did not want Donald Trump to win. Vladimir Putin merely wanted Donald Trump to be competitive. And as it appeared, based on the signal intelligence that the Russians had concluded Hillary Clinton's campaign had its act together, the natural thing to do would be to throw their support to Donald Trump uh, in ways surreptitiously, uh, even unbeknownst to the Trump campaign, to try to make them competitive, to force there to be a race, and more importantly, to force there to be questions and concerns and a loss of faith in our system. And it looks like the Russians won on that front. Both sides have a vested interest in misreporting and putting out disinformation on what happened. And I am really frustrated with people on the right who have bought these elaborate conspiracy theories when some of this stuff is really easily explainable if you just read the reports yourselves. It is Eric Erickson here, 25 after the hour. The phone number 404-872-0750, 1-800-WSB-TALK. Michael, you're up first. Welcome. 
Hi, Eric. Um, how are you doing today? Good, how are you? Good, thank you. I wanted to ask you, have you read Cheryl Atkinson's article on the chronological timeline detailing the events that got us to where we are right now with this Russia investigation? I have not yet. I actually have it in my stack of stuff to, of things I need to read. Well, it, it is very interesting, and I think that it paints a picture that something had to have happened when you look at all those events sequentially, how it all laid out, or else it's just coincidental, and it paints a picture in itself. Yeah, yeah, and you know, it, it, there there is some question I know on, for example, the the um, uh, the guy from Britain who supposedly worked for Reagan uh, suddenly. Exactly. Um, there is some question as to whether or not that timeline is right, and there are some people internally who um, say no that uh, they've gotten it off. Apparently, some dates were switched around uh, in a couple of other reports on when he actually met uh, Carter Page. I'm still suspicious of Carter Page, Michael, and the reason I am is because, you know, he worked in, in military intelligence when he was in the military, even though he's an idiot, uh, worked for military intelligence, um, and that guy is the only person not to be indicted who's been interviewed by Mueller multiple times and who has had a FISA warrant against him, and the only thing I can think is, what if he... Is it somehow an informant to the FBI? And I've seen several people say that it could be one of those situations where the guy from Cambridge and Carter Page were informing on each other without either one knowing the other was an informant. I've read the exact same thing. I know what you're talking about. And that makes total sense to me uh, because I know the, the FBI, they're not actually, they weren't looking at collusion among the president's campaign. They were looking at collusion among those like um, Manafort and Carter Page who they happened to be on the campaign, but they had independent ties to the Russians. That's what originally raised the flags in all of this. People forget that. They think that it was the Steele documentation. It wasn't. There was signal intelligence that had been picked up on. The the Steele stuff came later. And what actually happened was they started looking around and they said, oh my gosh, uh, Manafort, Page, they're on Trump's payroll. They may be trying to help the not Trump, but they may be trying to help the president. And some of these people have gotten indicted, but curiously, Carter Page has never been indicted. Very, very curious, and I wonder why that is, given how many interviews he's had. Hello there, it's Eric Erickson, 38 after the hour, the phone number 404-872-0750, 1-800-WSB-TALK, less than an hour and a half before the polls close in Georgia, uh, Texas and elsewhere tonight, a number of races happening around the country, not just in Georgia, and we will be covering all of them nationwide tonight. Nobody here knew I was going to do that, but heck, they've given me the microphone until the polls in Georgia resolve the winner, so might as well cover the others because uh, they're shaping up to be big. Now, let's go back to the phones. Bob and Tucker, welcome. Hi, Eric. Uh, happy primary day. <clears throat> I'm camped out on 285 right now, and I'm thinking I might not even make it to the poll before they close, <laughs> which is my question. Is there any data on how a traffic incident caused by rain would uh, would affect the primary tonight. 
you know, there's not typically in this situation um, because none of them, none of the major races are really expected to be close. The the biggest, the the closest will be Brian Kemp versus Hunter Hill in the primary, which one will make it into the second slot in the runoff. Um, that one, no one's calling. Uh, the campaigns all think it's very neck and neck. Even the Cagle campaign, I'm told, believes that it is a very close fight. Um, so every vote really counts there uh, for Hill and Kemp as to who gets into the runoff. I can tell you, in general, uh, rain tends to suppress uh, Democratic voters more than Republican voters. Republican voters tend to stick it out. Um, that's not anecdotal. That's actually, there have been plenty of studies on this. Uh, Republicans in general election contests love it when it rains uh, because they think uh, Democrats tend to stay home. Um, as to what it's going to do to you, however, Bob, I, I, let's just hope you make it in the, through the rain and the traffic. <laughs> I am going to vote for one of those two that you mentioned. So, well, uh, there you go. Yeah. I, uh, you know, I, I get that sense. A lot of people are torn there. Bob, thanks very much for the phone call. Uh, hope you can make it to the polls. Remember, you've got until 7 o'clock. And here's the thing, Bob, I, I, if you're still listening, remember that if you are in line by 7 p.m., they can't turn you away. Don't think, oh, I'm not going to make it or it's going to be late. Uh, there's a line. If you are in line at 7 p.m., you have the right to vote in elections in Georgia. So uh, show up and get in line. And what they do is they they will they'll stop anyone else from entering the line at 7 p.m. But they will allow everyone to conclude voting who is in line by 7 p.m. Very important there. Don't forget that. Um, there are other races around the country, including in Texas. And Texas, the races are very interesting. It's a runoff in Texas. They've already had the primary in Texas. Uh, and the runoffs, um, a good friend of mine, he's actually been on the show several times, Chip Roy. Uh, he was the chief of staff for Ted Cruz and for Rick Perry and was the assistant attorney general in Texas for a while. He is running in the 21st Congressional District, which is Lamar Smith's seat. Uh, Lamar Smith, he's a retiring member of Congress. It is a Republican district. District. Uh, unless there's a big devastating wave, uh, the GOP should hold that seat. Uh, but Chip is in a runoff. And the guy he's running against actually is very conservative as well, from what I've told. Um, obviously biased towards Chip. Uh, but there are several other runoffs in Texas that can actually shape the House Republican caucus. And Republican leaders have gotten involved because they're trying to shut out conservatives from winning because they're afraid of the rightward drift of the GOP in the House of Representatives. Think about that for a minute. I mean, the same thing is happening here in Georgia. If you're up in Forsyth County, you better go vote for Sherry Gilligan and Greg Dolezal uh, because the Chamber of Commerce and House Republicans do not want you to. If you're headed up to far north Georgia, Matt Gertler needs absolutely every vote he can get. The Speaker of the House and the Governor are campaigning against him, as is the Chamber of Commerce. If you're headed down towards the Noonan area, you've got to go vote for Marty Harbin. He's in the state Senate. Marty Harbin has the chamber and the governor and, and everybody else coming out to get him as well because he's fundamentally a conservative guy. Uh, David Stover is in the same boat. Um, and then you got Sam Thomas over in Jackson County. If you're headed over towards Jefferson, um, 
Hushton and that area, you need to go vote for Sam Thomas today for the state house. Uh, these guys really need your help. They are up against the Chamber of Commerce. They're up against the Speaker's office. Uh, the Republican establishment is out to get these guys because they oppose tax increases, and the Republicans in Georgia want to raise your taxes. So go stand for the conservatives. Now, let's go to Scott. Welcome, Scott. How are you? Hey, Eric. I'm fine. How are you tonight? I'm good. Hey, just like your last call where I'm stuck in traffic trying to beat it to the polls. <laughs> but um, And just like your last caller, I've got my choice narrowed down between Jack Kemp and Hunter Hill. And I was you mean Brian, not it, Jack. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> You're a man after my own heart. <laughs> but anyway, I was just wondering if you have any insight as to maybe some of the major differences between the two as far as their political views. I, I know so they're very similar. They are, and I will tell you, in fact, a, a member of the State House texted me today uh, who is uh, just all in on Hunter Hill. Uh, the conservatives in the State House, the guys the Chamber of Commerce are trying to beat, I think almost to a person, are supporting Hunter Hill. Um, they genuinely believe he's the conservative. He's got Ted Cruz with him as well. Um, I think that Brian Kemp is just as conservative. He's just been in an executive position, so he, so he doesn't have the votes that Hunter Hill has uh, to show. Um, there really, I don't think, is a ton of difference. One of the major differences, in addition to the conservatives in the House uh, really lining up almost uniformly behind Hunter Hill, is that he's got military combat service. Uh, and if being a veteran, who actually was in combat matters, Hunter Hill is your guy. Uh, right, but right. I really like Brian Kemp, too. I think he's a profoundly decent guy. I think he's fundamentally conservative. Uh, he's a, a small businessman. It is a tough, tough choice, and I'm not going to tell you which one to vote for. I'm going to tell you, though, they're both conservatives, but the House conservatives swear by Hunter Hill that he's the guy who, when he says he'll put Riffer into law, he really will. Um, they, they think he's the guy who will reform the tax code in Georgia and move us to a consumption tax. Um, they are they are very very high on Hunter Hill over there in the house. Okay, well I appreciate your insight, buddy. I'll uh, I guess when I insert the card, I'll Listen, have to make uh, a decision. Let me tell you, <laughs> if you want me to tell you who to vote for, it's real simple: eeny, meeny, miny, mo. Just just do that. Okay, buddy. Yep, absolutely. Um, look, I like them both. I'm not going to speak ill of Brian Kemp or Hunter Hill. Uh, I'm not going to tell you who you should vote for. I narrowed it down to those two as well. Uh, it, it is a very close election, and I know there are people who want me to say, go this. I'm not going to do it. Um, I, I have made the case for both of them. I have shown you the perspective of the conservatives in the House and what they think. Uh, you can make up your mind as to which one you're going to go with. You're not going to be disappointed in either one, I don't think, even though everyone will say, yeah, if you don't go with my guy, you're going to be disappointed. I think they're good. These are good men who are running, um, and I'm happy we have such a broad selection to choose from in Georgia. <laughs> I keep hearing from listeners who are telling me that they're writing me in. Somebody did for the Supreme Court positions. Just got one of them told me they wrote me in for governor because they couldn't decide. Don't do that. Don't do that. Listen, you, you know Cagle is going to be first and in, in, headed into runoff. Pick someone who can who can run against Cagle. Don't don't write me in for governor. Um, I am a lawyer. You can write me in, I guess, for the Supreme Court and Court of Appeals positions, but don't because 
I really hated being a lawyer and I really don't want to be a judge. (laughs) I like being right here uh, where I have all of you listening to me. Now, um, let me review some of these races. Uh, Ken Pullen is down in the Upson County area. For those of you headed down there towards Griffin, Upson, Pike County, uh, vote for Ken Pullen. He's a good guy. Uh, Marty Harbin down in the Noonan area. Uh, David Stovers as well, good house conservatives. Sam Thomas uh, out in the Jackson County area. I I think his district is all of Jackson County. Up in Forsyth County, Sure Gilligan, uh, Greg Dozal, good people. Um, you got to support the conservatives who are under attack in the House of the Senate by the Chamber of Commerce. Uh, help is coming. I am going to do this conservative scorecard. And I have been finding the votes uh, out there that really they're, they're, they're good conservative positions. And it's amazing the number of people who refuse in the House, the Republicans in the House, to vote on these good positions. Uh, and so, so I intend to expose these people with the scorecard. Um, and the Chamber of Commerce is trying to get rid of some of the good conservatives in the House. So you got to go stand with them. Uh, you can't complain if you don't go vote, and you can't complain if you're not going to vote for the good conservatives. So many of these Republicans in the State House and State Senate, they're no different from the Democrats uh, because many of them were Democrats. Um, so go vote, go vote Republican, vote for the conservatives. Uh, the polls close at seven. You've got an hour. If you're in line, they can't turn you out of the line. When we come back, we got to f- switch to national elections because there's some data out there the media would prefer you to pay no attention to. The Democrats may be having a bad year coming up. I said the Noonan area for Marty Harbin. I'm sorry. It's uh, he is in Fayette County. Um, so if you're in the Peachtree City, you're in the uh, Fayetteville area. Vote for Marty Harbin. Uh, Fayette County, Spalding, Lamar, and Pike counties. Uh, I apologize for that. I I, I went. Who did I, I thought it was? Never mind. I went down towards Noonan for. A fundraiser. I thought it was for Marty. I guess it was somebody else. So anyway, um, go vote for Marty if you're in Fayette County, please. Um, he needs all the support he can get. Uh, the Chamber of Commerce is out to get him, uh, and they're out to get him because he pointed out that uh, they were helping essentially send your tax dollars to a business that did not need them. Um, that's problematic. Now, um, a lady called earlier and said that someone, she saw someone being allowed to vote without an ID in Cobb County. Isn't that voter fraud? Uh, what happens is if you show up and, and there are problems, you can file a provisional ballot. And so if you show up, you don't have your voter ID, they file a provisional ballot. Uh, it's, it's a special form. If you turn over the little white sheet, you know how you request for a Democrat or Republican ballot. If you turn it over, you see all the paperwork for a provisional ballot. Um, and they don't actually count the vote. You got to show up with your ID to prove you're you, um, and do so expeditiously for them to count the vote. So, um, no harm, no foul there. Uh, it is not a, it's not voter fraud. I want to move back to the national elections because something has happened. 
in the Reuters Ipsos poll, you can only, and all the, the usual caveats apply here in that you need to look at the polling average. You don't need to look at the individual polls. Uh, but the Reuters tracking poll on the generic ballot has been going on for a while. And it, while its numbers are not necessarily aligned with the average, it, it's been tracking the overall trend. And for the first time, uh, Republicans are ahead of Democrats in the generic ballot. Now, it is only one poll. It is the Reuters poll. The problem here for the Democrats is that the Reuters poll, though the number may be wrong, Democrats may still be ahead of Republicans, uh, the polling average still has Democrats ahead of Republicans, uh, the reality is that the Democratic trajectory has been on decline as Republicans have been rising. And you know what else has been happening since December? The president's popularity in the polling average has gone up. Now, it hasn't gone up much. It's still underwater. Still, majority of Americans dislike the president. But um, they're less and less. Uh, the president's popularity is on the rise. And it corresponds with the Republican generic ballot on the rise. The lesson Republicans and the president should learn on this is that the generic ballot is largely tied to the president's popularity. Democrats still are the odds-on favorite of taking back the House. However, even um, Charlie Cook's group, he's one of the best political prognosticators in the country, even his group has pulled several races that they had as leaning Democrat move back into the Republican column uh, based on the quality of candidates and the polling out there. Okay, so what's going on? It is very simple, and I know a lot of Democrats don't want to hear this. And it is directly relevant to what is happening today in Georgia. Y'all, Democrats done lost their damn mind. It is true. The Democrats have come unhinged. They are deeply angry. They are angrier than Republicans and angrier than conservatives. They are angry about gun control. They are angry about gay rights. They are angry about transgender rights. They are angry about abortion. They are angry that people disagree with them. They are angry that corporations may disagree with them. They are angry about the president. They are angry about Democrats not standing up to the president. They are angry about Democrats standing up to the president but not standing up to him hard enough. They are angry about everything. And it is turning voters off as it should. The Publix Corporation, you know, the grocery store, the great, glorious grocery store. I love Publix. The only thing that would make Publix better is if they would start doing Apple Pay because I hate to pull out my debit card because the little processor chip machines take all day to try to process them. Publix is a wonderful grocery store. If I could do an ad campaign for Publix, I would. I'll, I'll consider this an ad campaign for I love Publix. It is the best grocery store. No offense to the other grocery stores. I like Publix largely because it is two blocks from my house, and I like their deli selection. Nonetheless, Publix is a Florida corporation, and Publix has endorsed Adam Putnam for governor of Florida. The reason Publix has endorsed Adam Putnam for governor of Florida is because he was the congressman. He was first the uh, state legislator who represented the district in which Publix corporate headquarters are located. Then he was their congressman. Then he was, I think, the Ag Secretary in Florida, uh, and now he's running for governor. He is their hometown guy. I think Adam Putnam, when he was a high schooler, was a grocery boy for Publix. They had a relationship with this guy for decades, and so they have endorsed him. The Publix Corporation, the Publix Grocery Store Corporation in Florida, corporations can do this. 
Well, guess what? The NRA has come out and endorsed Adam Putnam. Adam Putnam has called himself uh, an extremist on guns. He opposed Rick Scott raising the purchase age for rifles to 21 after the Parkland shooting. Uh, Adam Putnam wants you to know he is as pro-Second Amendment as you can get. And the NRA has come out and endorsed him. So you know what liberals in Florida are doing? They're boycotting Publix grocery stores. They're going to the Winn-Dixie instead. Y'all, one trip to the Winn-Dixie would send me back to the Publix, but that's neither here nor there. Uh, they, the liberals, are trying to find other grocery stores to go to. There is a social media campaign where many of these unhappy, angry liberals are sending their receipts from other grocery stores to the public social media accounts to let them know they're boycotting them. Why? Because they think Publix is supporting gun rights. I kid you not, these people aren't bright. They're angry. They have decided that because Publix is supporting a candidate who is also supported by the NRA, Publix grocery stores must therefore support the NRA. All they're doing is supporting a guy who used to work for them when he was in high school who has been their congressman for years. But that's not enough with the left. The left these days has decided you will be made to care on all of these issues. You will be made to care on the transgender issue. You'll be made to care on the abortion issue. You'll be made to care on the gay rights issue. You'll be made to care on the gun issue. And if you don't care the way they want you to care, well, then you will be punished. You will be silenced. You will be driven from the town square. And because Publix is supporting a pro-gun candidate, Publix is now public enemy number one down in Florida. Their left abides no dissent. You're not allowed to disagree with them on these issues or you will be punished. To be clear, they have every right to shop wherever they want. But that's not really what's going on here. They're not just exercising their right. They're doing so to bully and badger someone else to change politically. And that's a real problem when the mob forces you to change. Because this is mob politics. This is why direct democracy is a bad idea. And because they can't change things the way they want to change things, they've decided to engage in these mob-like tactics to pressure others to shut up so that they don't have to encounter anyone's opposing view. That's what all of this is about. They don't want to encounter your, your view. If you support the Second Amendment, they don't want to encounter you. Uh, Kyle Kushiv, I think his name is, he's uh, a junior down at Parkland. He's the top student in his class. He's also a Second Amendment kid, even after the shooting. And other students in his class are already declaring that if he actually is the valedictorian when he graduates next year, they're boycotting because they don't like his Second Amendment views. The left will not tolerate any dissent on any of these issues. So now they're going after Publix grocery stores. This is not a sustainable situation because they're not going to be able to shut everybody up. What they are going to do is they're going to breed resentment. And this is what is being reflected in the polls. There is a growing resentment on the left trying to shut up anyone who disagrees with them. And it's coming back to hurt them in the polling. Brace yourselves, folks. There's been a bipartisan vote in the United States Congress. Uh, Democrats and Republicans together have rolled back provisions of Dodd-Frank. Uh, Focahontas went nuts over it. 
but Republicans and Democrats have repealed part of Dodd-Frank uh, that they felt was uh, punishing small businesses. And the House of Representatives has just passed prison reform, a more contained bill from the last time. David Perdue, who blocked it the last time, said he would support it this time. It's a more limited bill. Um, let us uh, go back to the phones. Eric, welcome. Uh, Mr. Erickson, how are you, sir? I'm good. How are you? Good. I've got a question. Um, has there yet been a government, or rather, has there yet been like a, a, a candidate for governor who has mentioned yet the um, amount of money going out by uh, illegal immigrants? Um, I see this as a national security issue, sir. You know, Michael Williams has actually made this, uh, the the amount of, uh, the number of illegal aliens who are repatriating cash into other countries and not necessarily paying income taxes in this country. Michael Williams has actually focused on that. Michael Williams? Yes. Okay, I'll go put his name down right now. <laughs> All right, Eric. Uh, glad to help. Michael Williams has made uh, illegal immigration a big issue of his, the deportation bus and all of that, and he has spoken publicly about this. Uh, and he actually, he too, has, has talked about this as a national security issue, the amount of people coming to this country illegally who are then flowing money out of this country that would otherwise be contained here. Uh, he thinks that's a very big issue. Um, so if that if you if that's your issue, well, consider voting for him. Uh, folks, there are 32 minutes left in the polls. Uh, get there, get in line and stay in line until you vote. Uh, it is important to do your part uh, for the democratic processes of our Republican institutions. And when we come back, Bill Crane's going to join me to give you kind of a bird's eye view of what's happening tonight. Welcome back. It's Eric Erickson here. A lot of rain still in the area. We'll go over the radar here in a little while. But joining me now on the phone is Bill Crane. Welcome. How are you, sir? I'm well, Eric. How are you doing? I'm doing great. And I know you'll be with WSB-TV later on this evening as well. And before the polls close and stuff, what do you think people need to look for tonight? Well, the the fireworks that we might have expected in the Republican primary on the GOP gubernatorial race haven't really materialized. I think it's going to be, unless the combined field can keep Lieutenant Governor Cagle more than a little bit below 40% in the high 30s, he looks really good in the runoff. And, and everything I've seen at this point since Brian Kemp's ads were effective, particularly at raising his name identification and solidifying his support among conservatives, and particularly those who are strong on the Second Amendment. He has the best shot at a runoff. On the Democratic race, the battling Stacey's, uh, I think that also do, is somewhat of a foregone conclusion. Stacey Evans is a very strong campaigner and a very strong candidate, but she had a lot to overcome in terms of Stacey Abrams' advantage in terms of organization, name identification, and having done that voter registration campaign for the better part of a year and a half, working the African-American vote, the ministers, the people that moved that vote effectively, uh, it, it's a lot to overcome. So I think those races will be decided reasonably early tonight, but for the Fulton County vote that will come late as always, <laughs> and then we will be looking at some of those contested primaries at the local level, things like in uh, Gwinnett County, we have 
Democrats running for the county commission and contested primaries there. The 6th District nominee who will be running against on the Democratic side, Karen Handel, we may be waiting until July to figure out who the nominees will be in several of those races. Yeah. You know, on the Evans-Abrams race, I personally, and, and just, I mean, chime in here, I, I'm interested to see how the North Georgia Democratic vote comes down, because I, 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 I think it's a big tip of the hat towards the Democrats making a mistake with Abrams. If you see the, the blue-collar white voters in North Georgia who still vote Democrat going for Evans. I think they will go for Evans, but there's just not that many of them. I mean, she's right. from Ringgold. If you round up all of the Republican vote you know, in those counties north of Tennessee, that's probably three-quarters of the vote total. And then you look at how few will actually turn out in a primary she may get every white Democratic vote from Dalton North, but that's not enough when you when you compare that against Fulton County and DeKalb and the county where more Democrats will vote and the preponderance of those will be minority voters. Yeah, I, I think so. I just I, I'm wondering about this Democratic coalition that's shaping up. I just don't know that it's a good fit for Georgia. The the highly educated secular white voter and the uh, urban minority coalition. I I, I know you're right, and and it's probably why Georgia may be one of the few bright spots for the GOP yeah. in the fall because. Uh, there is steam building and the Me Too movement and other parts of the country against the president that are going to be very helpful to Democratic challengers for Congress. And I, like you, feel like uh, there's a reason Paul Ryan is stepping out on his own terms early. He can read maps and he can read polls like anybody else can. I'm not giving up uh, that the Senate goes that way because the map is just too favorable to the GOP. But it's going to be a very, I think, crippling midterm for the GOP and Congress and, and national races that are the president. Bill, let me ask you about some of these other statewide races. I mean, I, I think the conventional wisdom is probably right that David Schaefer comes out on top uh, heading into a runoff in November against Jeff Duncan, but I just I don't know that anybody has a really good sense about any of these other races. I would say you're correct, and I would also say I cannot remember a general primary with this lack of interest, and I'm talking about the general electorate, not the rank-and-file grassroots activists in either party, but just walk up to somebody in a Cracker Barrel or at a Crystal and ask them about who they're voting for, and they'd leave you this kind of glared, stony face look back. There's an election. And part of that is, of course, we haven't had a May 22nd primary before. We haven't voted this early in the summer other than presidential primaries. So that's thrown people off. It's the last week of school. Most parents are very focused on that. And, and you know, I understand why the Justice Department moved us up or made us move up, but there's only three states voting tonight, us, Arkansas. I can't remember who the others in a runoff in Texas. It, yeah, the so runoff in Texas, not, yeah. It's not drawing national media attention either, and it's sort of the hidden election. I just I, I don't like this this May primary season, and you're right. One of the big issues is, like, my kids today was their last day of school. Although I got to tell you, in, in, in northern Bibb County today, and maybe because there's a special election down there, there's a state house seat that's open, but turnout was – I was shocked by how high the turnout was. I had to wait in line for 20 minutes to vote. Normally, it's 10 minutes from my car back to my car. Well, Alan Peake was, uh, is going to be a hard representative replace, and he's been working it hard for Clay Tippins, and as I understand it, even going door-to-door down there. So there may yeah. have been some unusual activity in Bibb and North Forsyth and what is your district uh, compared to the rest of the state. I'm not familiar with all of the local races, but yeah. it, that's what does happen in these primaries. There'll be a local race for sheriff or school board or something else that'll be an anathema, but the rest of the state is just sort of a collective shrug. Well, I, I'm, I'm glad to know you have this sense, because I've had this sense all along that uh, there's just everybody's focused on just their voters trying not to raise anybody else's profile enough to get extra people out. And the the president continues, you know, and I'll, I'll be 
favorable to him when he deserves it on you know trying to get this summit together in Korea to suck all the political action out of the room. I mean, when you have the Forsyth County Reporter or the Macon Telegraph and News editorial pages constantly talking about the president versus the local school board right. or their local sheriff, or the, it, it makes it that much more difficult to get the word out. That's true. Bill, thank you very much. Take care, Eric, and I hope Christy's doing well. Thank you. Thank you very much. We will talk to Bill probably later this evening. He'll also be on WSB-TV uh, providing analysis for WSB-TV. I will be here. Lord knows how long I will be here. We're just bunkering down tonight here at WSB. Uh, we'll be keeping up to date throughout the night on the radio at WSBRadio.com as well, um, trying to get a handle on these elections. Um, when I come back, though, I want to kind of give you an overview of things to watch for and the way the races tend to unfold here in Georgia so that you'll have an idea of where the vote's coming from and where the night is headed. Good evening, it is Eric Erickson here in the WSB Newsroom as we bring you live continuous coverage of the Georgia election results along with Kentucky and Arkansas and the Texas primary runoff. We will keep an eye on those, but our primary focus tonight is Georgia. Polls have closed. We have 159 counties and 2,635 precincts. Uh, those precincts cover, well, a, a wide swath of urban, rural, exurban, suburban territory, and the results will begin trickling in slowly tonight. Uh, let me give you kind of the rundown of what typically happens in Georgia. What we will tend to see first is the, the um, counties along the Florida line oftentimes uh, have their act together and they will start trickling in as long as uh, as well as some of the smaller counties uh, down in the south central part of the state and the coastal part of the state. So we'll see Liberty County trickle in, Toombs County, uh, Lawrence County will start to trickle in, Houston will have its act together. We'll probably have everything from Houston, a Republican hotbed, by about 9 o'clock tonight. Uh, Muskogee County and the, the parts around there will also start to trickle in, Chattahoochee County, Marion County, County, Talbot County, they'll be a little slow at first, pick up steam. The metro area tends to go the slowest. The Henry counties, Clayton counties, Fulton, DeKalb, Gwinnett, Cobb, uh, Cherokee, Forsyth, they tend to be a little slow in reporting because they have such a high population base. The same in the uh, Columbian Richmond County area, Augusta, the same down towards the Chatham County area, they will be a little slower because of the urban areas. Now, what do we need to keep an eye on for the Democratic side? Uh, first of all, let's go up to the northern part of the state. Uh, let's take the counties that run along the Tennessee and North Carolina line. Uh, Dade, Walker, Catoosa, Whitfield, Murray, Fanning, Union, Towns, Rabin County. Uh, let's also throw in Gilmer County. Um, those counties up there are largely white, uh, very blue-collar. You're talking about the Blue Ridge, the Hiawassee area. There aren't, as Bill Crane was talking about in the last hour, there aren't a ton of Democratic votes up there. 
there. But those that are, they're probably going to go for Stacey Evans. As you trickle down further, uh, let's just go from, from Fanning County South to Gilmer, then to Pickens County, then to Cherokee County, then to North Fulton County. You're talking about the Jasper area, the LJ area, the, the Blue Ridge area, that part of the state. Um, how do those voters funnel down towards Fulton County, where you've got a large media presence, WSB-TV and all the other, other TV stations that we pretend don't exist? Uh, there is only one radio station in Atlanta, and you're listening to it. How how do um, the votes shift, uh, white to black, uh, Abrams to, to Evans? The reason I focus on this is because we're seeing in Georgia tonight the reconstitution of the Democratic Party coalition. It is the from the Bill Clinton coalition to the Obama coalition. We're now moving towards the post-Obama coalition, and what we're seeing is... And maybe you can call it the Hillary Clinton coalition. And it wasn't successful for her, except in certain parts of the country. And that tends to be a coalition that has high income, uh, well-educated white voters who are very secular and Episcopalian. Uh, And then you have uh, minority voters, Hispanic and black voters. And there is an inherent tension in that coalition because the black and the Hispanic voters tend to be actually socially conservative. Uh, Black voters in this country are a growing pro-life force. Hispanic voters in this country are the most pro-life voters, but they tend to resist the Republican Party because the Democrats have been successful with the help of some bad Republicans uh, to paint the Republican Party as a party hostile to minorities. Uh, I don't think it's fair, but that is certainly the, the perception among minority voters towards the Republican Party. Well, those voters, though, um, they don't have a winning coalition without uh, a higher percentage of white voters because white voters in this country demographically may be moving towards the minority, but right now are still the highest percentage of voters. And married white women tend to vote almost in lockstep with the Republican Party. They have to peel those people away. With Stacey Evans, the Democrats have the opportunity to do that. With Stacey Abrams, not so much. And the reason is because, though both the reliably socially liberal Stacey Abrams puts that more in the forefront than Stacey Evans, who is much more of a fiscal liberal than a social liberal, though she is reliably socially liberal on a abortion, on gun control, on gay marriage, all those things. Um, that that's Her real focus has been on hope. Her entire ad campaign has been on restoring hope. It is a message designed to bring back that coalition of voter that voted for Barack Obama and then flipped to Donald Trump. Had that not happened, Hillary Clinton would have been elected. But in Erie, Pennsylvania, in um, in parts of Wisconsin and Michigan, those voters who voted for Barack Obama, who were white, who did not have college degrees, they flipped for Donald Trump because they were angry and they believed the system failed them. Stacey Evans has tried to tap into that within the Democratic coalition. The problem that she has and the reason she probably won't win tonight is there aren't enough of them. Stacey Abrams has rallied black voters in the state. To Stacey Evans's credit, she has tried to build a coalition of black voters and black support, but it's not enough in urban areas. And what we're going to find in rural areas of the state uh, where there is a, a high concentration of black voters, I'm talking about the, the Taylor counties, the Crawford counties, the Macon counties, the Sly counties, the Marion counties, the Sumter counties, uh, down in the Dooley, the Crisp, uh, the Pulaski County area, all the way across into some of these more coastal parts, uh, the Ta- 
Gatineau County, the Appling County, Wayne County, those become more uh, rural and white, and that will probably help Stacey Evans. But there's a high concentration of black voters in those rural counties and then in the urban area, and Stacey Abrams has captured them. The question in those areas for the Republicans is who's been able to make inroads. Clay Tippins has a real force within middle Georgia, the Bibb County, Monroe County, Houston County area, Peach County, that's Byron, Houston is Warner Robins. Uh, the Twiggs County area down there in Jones County is gray. Uh, Clay Tippins has a lot of local support down there. Does he have the support of the metro area? This is to some degree to Hunter Hill's detriment. In Forsyth County and in the Buckhead area, Hunter Hill was the Buckhead senator. Hunter Hill should have a ton of support in the Buckhead area. But if you ride around the West Paces, uh, West Paces area, Tuxedo Valley area, uh, Mount Perrin Road, you're going to see a lot of Clay Tippin signs in people's yards. He's been able to cut into Hunter Hill's base of support by being the outsider Republican businessman. And that Clay Tippins could tonight keep Hunter Hill from getting into a runoff uh, with uh, Casey Cagle. The odds are, if we played the odds tonight... What we would find is that Brian Kemp is going to go into the runoff. Now, we don't know for sure. The metro Atlanta area still has a sizable turnout of Republicans, and a sizable portion of that is going to go for Hunter Hill. Uh, My point, though, is that Clay Tippins kind of competed uh, in Hunter Hill's home turf where Hunter Hill needs to maximize his turnout. The other question is what happens up in Forsyth County. Michael Williams is the state senator in Forsyth County. Uh, He left the state Senate to run for governor. And uh, my buddy Greg Dozal is running up there against a developer, former county commissioner Brian Tam, and another guy, uh, Bill Fielder. And you've also got the Sherry Gilligan race up in Forsyth County as the the establishment comes out to try to get her. All of that is driving up votes in Forsyth County, which could, that's a natural base of support for Michael Williams, help him do better than polling suggests. As well, Michael Williams has worked the coastal and southern parts of the state uh, under the radar of Atlanta media. He may actually surprise people tonight uh, with how well he does, though I don't think it'll be enough to get him into a runoff. The real question tonight is how well does Stacey Abrams do on the Democratic side with white voters and on the Republican side, how well does Brian Kemp do versus Hunter Hill to get in number two? The other question, the elephant in the room, if you will, for the Republicans is how well does Casey Cagle actually do? If you looked at the Atlanta Journal polling, it came out first. And in the AJC polling, he had about 42 percent of the vote. The 11 Alive poll came out, and it had him at about 38% of the vote. Uh, The Fox 5 poll came out, and it had him down to about 35% of the vote. Now, these are all separate pollsters, so you can't take one and say, oh, look at the downward trend. They're they're separate pollsters. They're using separate models. Um, So you can't extrapolate from one to the other. If Casey Cagle is closer to a third of the vote instead of 50% of the vote, um, he's not had a good night because he spent about $4 million on advertising, $8 million total. And if he's held down to 33 to 35%, if the Fox 5 poll is right and not the AJC poll, Casey Cagle's had a very bad night and he may very well be beatable in the runoff. If Casey Cagle gets over 40%, if he gets to 45%, Casey Cagle is probably unstoppable in the Republican runoff. Uh, we're going to watch those numbers tonight. And then there are all the other races out there. We've got congressional races in Georgia. We've got state house and state Senate races in Georgia. We've got all the other statewide races in Georgia. We'll be paying attention to all of those. We'll also be taking your phone calls this hour, 404-872-0750, 1-800-WSB-TALK. 
And as I told you, the results are starting to trickle in very slowly, and they're coming from the southern part of the state. Um, they actually are now. Uh, very nominal results. We got uh, Kegel 44%, Brian Kemp 30%, but we're talking 621 total votes. Um, we're, we're seeing a, a, a fairly sizable pattern shape up here, um, though in that race, but again, it's just, it's really too early to tell where anything is happening. Just so you know, though, where these votes are coming from, uh, we are talking Brooks County, which is just to the west of Valdosta and Lowndes County. And we're talking Brantley County, which is to the east of Waycross and Ware County. Um, these are the votes. This is as we expected would happen, uh, that the southern, uh, more rural counties would start to trickle in a lot sooner than everyone else in the state. Uh, we will keep an eye on this. We expect the, the bulk of the results will start happening in the state uh, after 8 p.m. tonight. Um, and once that starts happening, we will start seeing a cascading effect as more and more counties start turning things in. Uh, and then we also have to deal with the server load on the Secretary of State's website, the Associated Press. Uh, there are reporters out there. I've also, if you go to ericontheradio.com uh, and you just want to keep it open, the top post, uh, I have put up the uh, Decision Desk HQ's embed widgets for the Democratic and the Republican primaries. So you can keep that loaded tonight as well. They have people on the ground throughout the state. Let's go back to the phones. Claudette, welcome. How are you? I am well, sir. Thank you so much for taking my call. Sure. Um, I'm, I'm a, a listener of yours, and I try not to miss um, these uh, sessions as I'm driving home. But I have grave concern about the election results, and I'm just wondering... Um, you know, what you might know that might be in place to monitor the integrity. I personally have a distrust um, for um, the Democrat Party because historically they've been known to um, not be quite honest and right. with the election. Well, so I'm just wondering, you know, because we just can't take it for granted that um, yes. it's going to go in an, in, in an ethical manner. And I'm just wondering if you're aware of Yes, so both parties are allowed election observers uh, by precinct. Uh, both parties can have people... Uh, go to the elections and observe the processes, and they can flag any complaints throughout the day. Uh, both parties have lawyers in place uh, with hotlines so that if there's any election irregularities, according to the poll monitors for either party, they can call their lawyers and get them involved. There tend to be legal teams spread throughout the state at times like this for these elections. Uh, beyond that, there are people who inspect throughout the process uh, where the vote cards go, and as they make their way back to boards of elections. Once they get to boards of elections, uh, you have both parties stand watch at the boards of elections as the votes are counted. It used to be a lot harder because they were transmitting paper ballots uh, to the election authorities. And you could, I mean, I'm very familiar with the situation in Fulton County years ago when I was uh, in college where a, a garbage truck actually blocked the path of the Republican observers on their way to the Board of Elections, and they somehow managed to beat the ballots to Fulton County, where there were all sorts of nefarious dealings, it would seem. 
but it wasn't enough to sway the election. Typically, though, now, because of the electronic balloting, uh, the voter integrity is actually much better. Um, but both sides are allowed observers. Both sides have lawyers on standby, uh, and neither side is allowed to shut the other out of the process. Uh, they can always run to a federal judge to get it stopped if necessary. 404 is the number. More results when we come back. Lines are open, 404-872-0750, wsb Talk. We are starting to get results in. Uh, most of it is coming from the South Georgia area. Um, and now we've got some we've got some partial results trickling in. Walker, Gordon, in, in Challens County in North Georgia, Barrow in Oconee County, Jasper County, uh, Jefferson County, Truitland, Jeff Davis, Brantley. Lowndes County. Um, how are these races shaping up? Well, give me one minute to load these things. I will tell you right now on the Republican side, it is Kegel 39%. Uh, Brian Kemp is at 31%. Uh, and now the Secretary of State's office just decided it was going to start uh, reloading. Yes, so uh, Kegel 39%, Kemp 31%, Hunter Hill 14%, Clay Tippins 8%, Michael Williams 5%, uh, looking very much like the pattern in the polling, by the way. Uh, we've got uh, Stacey Abrams with 65 to 34 on the Democratic side. For Lieutenant Governor on the Republican side, Schaefer 43, Duncan 29, Jeffers 27. Uh, Lieutenant Governor for the Dems, 57, Amico, 42, James. For Secretary of State, um, David Bell Isle and Brad Raffensberger at 32%. Buzz Brockway, Josh McCoon at 17%. Um, and on the Democratic side, 53 for Barrow, 30 for Dawkins-Hagler, and 16 for Hadley. I haven't heard of many of these Democratic candidates, truth be told. Um, so, uh, these are the statewide races that are shaping up right now on the insurance commissioner side. Uh, you got Jim Beck at 59%, Florence at 19, Tracy Jordan at 20, and on the democratic side, laws at 63, Zeldin at 36. Um, we will see as these continue to shape up again, we're starting to get partially reported counties, uh, broadly throughout the state. Most of it though, is in the, the Southern part of the state. Uh, Terrell, Lee, Randolph County, that's the Albany area, Macon County, Talbot County, uh, near, uh, Columbus. And then you got, uh, Lowndes and Brooks starting to come in Decatur County down there on the Florida line, Florida, Alabama line, Brantley County. So we're starting to, to shape up the familiar pattern. The, the Metro area, the only County that is arguably in the Metro area would be Jasper County. And it's not quite in the Monticello, Monticello area. Um, but we're, it's going to be a while for Cobb and Fulton and Gwinnett and those to come in. Um, but what we're seeing so far in the partial results, you can't really tell anything substantive. But other than that, the polling, as these precincts are coming in and the precincts are starting to be completed, you do have this situation where the polling looks like it may be bearing out. I'm still very interested in where Casey Cagle goes, if he's above or below 40%. I think the conventional wisdom is right on this. If Cagle is above 40%, 
Cagle is surely going to win the runoff. If he is below 40%, Uh, I think he has some weaknesses in his campaign, but they are weaknesses that are very, very easily overcome by a multi-million dollar ad campaign. Now, I've talked to a couple of the other campaigns, and what these other campaigns say is that they think it's notable that that the more Cagle spent, they believe Cagle went down in polling. And it's not just the public polling. Uh, They believe they saw this in their private polling as well that as Cagle spent more and other candidates came online with their spending, that it provided an alternative and people started making up their minds against Cagle. As the establishment, more or less incumbent guy, I mean, he is the guy the governor has said nice things about him, people expect him to win, the business community has rallied to him, uh, and a lot of the business community, it's not so much they support him so much as they think he's going to win, so they support him. Um, but the more other candidates raise their exposure, the more Cagle came down in the polling as people looked at him and said, I want an alternative. Now, Cagle has a very good argument for this that I think we're going to see him deploy in the runoff. And that is that some people will say he's a careerist. He's been there forever. This is what Clay Tippins has said, that he's a careerist. Um, What Cagle says is that uh, when people say career politician, what they mean is experience. He has the experience of legislating. He has the experience of uh, passing legislation. He has the experience of shaping public policy. And that's kind of that that's that's where he's headed with this argument. And I think it's an argument that he will effectively deploy uh, in the state. Now, let me tell you right now um, in Jasper County and Oconee County, that is very much um, around the the Clark County area. Um Brian Kemp is outperforming Casey Cagle, but in every other county so far, and also Trutland County, um, down there near Georgia Southern, um, every other county that's coming in, Cagle tends to be winning those counties. Um, Around the Athens-Clark County area, uh, Brian Kemp is doing the best. Uh, You go up towards the the Hall County area and whatnot, uh, Cagle tends to do better, which is not surprising. That's kind of his base. Uh, over in the the Harris Talbot Muskogee area, that's Columbus. Uh, Cagle is also doing very well there in that race. So we will see how this shapes up tonight um, as the race proceeds. On the Democratic side, there really aren't any surprises thus far with the Democratic side either. Um, what we're seeing with the Democratic side is that Stacey Abrams is outperforming Stacey Evans right now. I mean, seriously, we're only talking. 5,614 votes, but Abrams is at 66 and Evans is at 33%. We've only got 14 and a half percentage of counties publicly reported, and they're only partially reported. What we are seeing, however, again, though, is in the North Georgia area, the Walker County area, Stacey Abrams appears to be performing very well, or Stacey Evans, rather, giving Stacey Abrams a run for her money. She's keeping it very close in North Georgia. The further south you go in the state, the more likely you are to see Stacey Abrams uh, picking up a lot of support. So, for example... Um, let me give you these if, if the Secretary of State's website is kind of being a little flaky right now. Um, I want to give you this so that you have a sense of what is shaping up out there. And again, it is very early. we got to caution that it's very early. Um, but um, take Walker County. That is right up there at Chattanooga. 
Uh, you've got Stacey Evans at 59.8%, Stacey Abrams at 40.1%. But just go to Gordon County, one county south, and it's 53.46 in favor of Stacey Abrams. Head down to Macon County, though, which is a, a county It is very rural, has a high percentage of black voters. It's a Democratic county. It is 75.25%. Uh, Abrams Evans right now and that is the way it is throughout most of South Georgia it is 7525 in Lee County 7227 Terrell County uh, 6435 Randolph County um, 7623 Jeff Davis in favor of Stacey Abrams um, so this is exactly what everyone thought was going to happen is happening in these races uh, right now um, but keep in mind that the metro areas will dominate, as always. I mean, this is doesn't take a rocket scientist to say that. And we will see what happens. What happens when Bibb and Houston come in? What happens when Muskogee comes in? Lowndes County is starting to trickle in right now. That's Valdosta uh, at 6831. Abrams Evans there. Uh, and then we don't have the Effingham Chatham County area. We don't have the uh, Columbia Richmond County area. None of that stuff is outstanding for a Democrat or Republican right now. Um, so the question on everyone's mind is going to be uh, Casey Cagle. Where does he get above or below 40 percent? Uh, who comes in second, Brian Kemp or Hunter Hill? It's looking like it's going to be Brian Kemp. So this is a race that doesn't surprise anyone. Same on the Democratic side. It's not surprising anyone. Uh, Bill Crane and I talked earlier in the 6 o'clock hour, and he said it won't surprise any of us that uh, there's a very low turnout uh, shaping up tonight, a very low turnout among Democrats and Republicans across the state, except in a few areas where there are heavily contested local races. And those heavily contested local races are dragging things up. So we'll probably see a big spike for Michael Williams in Forsyth County. That's his home county. There are two very heavily contested uh, state races there, the state house and state senate races up there, his seat being vacated, and there's Sherry Gilligan defending her seat. Uh, we will probably see some turnout there. Uh, I'm interested to, uh, to get your thoughts as well on the race as this shapes up tonight. We're happy to take your phone calls on the race. Uh, what you think about it, where things are headed, 404-872-0750, 1-800-WSB-TALK. We are also going to step out uh, in the next two hours. We'll be talking to some of the reporters at the AJC. We will also be talking to some of our own reporters who are with campaigns tonight across Georgia, uh, Athens and Gainesville and the Atlanta area, seeing what these uh, stack up. But right now, there are no surprises as these races start coming in. Uh, we may have an earlier night than a lot of people expected. I'm going to go on and step out for a commercial break here. Um, when we come back, I want to check radar again because we do have a developing storm situation. There are no storm warnings right now. But essentially, if you're at the airport on 75 headed south, you're going to be in rain now all the way to Savannah and to the Florida line through Valdosta. That is going to impact counting votes in these areas, folks, uh, as they're trying to get the votes to the boards of election. Some of these areas are rural areas, and they're experiencing a lot of lightning. That could cause power problems. We may be delayed in some of the mid-state right now because of where the, the boards of elections are situated. I know down in Wilkinson County, for example, they get a lot of heavy rain down there, which they are. Uh, that can impact their ability to process the votes. Um 
given their infrastructure down there with power and whatnot. Same is happening the ball ground area, the coming area, the Flowery Branch area, uh, Sugar Hill, Swanee, a lot of rain in that area. Woodstock, Holly Springs, Canton, uh, the worst of it has passed, uh, but you're still going to be getting light rain for the next little while. Uh, stick around here. I'll give you the weather update, and we'll keep with the polls as they're closing out. Another question uh, I just actually got asked by text message is, do either Clay Tippins or Michael Williams get double digits? I suspect that Clay Tippins may be able to get into the double digits. And the reason I suspect that is because he's had a very strong door-to-door effort in some parts of the state. Um, I'm not sure about Michael Williams. Um, right now, in fact... Uh, We got uh, 27,994 votes in, and we've got uh, Casey Cagle at 41, Brian Kemp at 28, Hunter Hill at 15, Clay Tippins at 9, Michael Williams at 5%, um, which is fairly typical to where the polling has been. Um, I will tell you that right now it's looking like Casey Cagle's sweeping most of the area, but in the Clark County area, uh, you got Brian Kemp doing much better, uh, than anybody else. Uh, he's won Wilkes County over there near Augusta. He's won, um, winning Oconee. He's winning Morgan, Jasper and Newton County, uh, and Oconee County all over there near Clark County. Um, but the most, most of the rest of the state is, uh, Casey Cagle territory. Uh, and that is to be expected. Now we have, I'm trying to see one County completed. That is Webster County is the one County that has completed its voting. Webster County is near Albany between Albany and Muskogee County. And let's see what Webster County has for the Republican side. Um, it has been won by Brian Kemp. Brian Kemp has won the first county tonight. First county to come in, uh, 48% Brian Kemp, 25%, uh, Casey Cagle, 12.6 for Hunter Hill, 9.4 for Clay Tippins, 3.8% for Michael Williams, uh, in that county, but it's only one small county. The metro area still to come tonight. I've got AJC reporters and WSB reporters lined up to talk to them on the ground with the candidates throughout the evening starting next. We'll be back. The Georgia Primary, live team coverage of the results from Chris Chandler and the WSB Radio News team, plus insight and analysis from Eric Erickson. It is nine after the hour. Eric Erickson here. Rain in most of the metro area except to the west of the city. Uh, Southeast and north, you've got it. Results trickling in. Give you the lay of the land right now. 60% of the state still hasn't even begun to report. 37% of the state has partially reported. Only 3% of the state uh, of the counties in the state have actually completed. That's five counties have actually completed 49 precincts out of 2,635. And there are no surprises right now. Joining me is Greg Bluestein of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Greg, how are you? I'm great. How are you? I'm great. Now, where are you? I'm at Stacey Abrams headquarters in downtown Atlanta, where there's probably about a few hundred people starting to trickle in 
uh, through the doors here waiting for uh, for what they hope is a victory for her. Well, you know, just looking at the way things are coming through the state, I don't know that there are going to be any surprises tonight on the Republican or Democratic side for governor uh, with uh, a Cagle-Kemp uh, runoff and an Abrams win. I'm kind of with you there. Um, you know, again, with the tepid turnout, that could throw a wrench into things, but um, it's looking like, uh, you know, Cagle could be in the 30s, maybe 40s, and Kemp could be in the 20s. Now, one of the things, I, I realize that the, the various news networks in Georgia haven't used the same pollsters, so they're not using the same models, um, but several of Cagle's opponents have pointed out that in their internals and in uh, just the public polling, as the other candidates have gone on air, uh, the undecided voter pool has mostly moved in their direction and Cagle's numbers have come down. They're, they're trying to suggest that Cagle's support is soft, and uh, I'm... I don't know that if he gets over 40% that anyone can say that Cagle's support is soft, but if he gets closer to a third, maybe it is. Yeah, if he's, uh, exactly. If he's around 30% after spending about $7 million, uh, by far the most, the biggest war chest of any of the candidates on either side of the party, uh, then they're going to make the argument that he's plateaued, that it's going to be really hard for him to get to that 50% mark. And you're already hearing from Brian Kemp supporters comparing uh, the latest polls to the 2010 uh, uh, primary where Karen Hendel was in first and Nathan Beal was in second with about 30 mid-30s for, for uh, Karen Handel and, and 20s for Nathan Beal. You know, it, it's funny, some of the comparisons. First, it was the Kegel is the John Oxendine of the race, except uh, Oxendine got blown out in the primary, and now suddenly Kegel's going to be the, the Karen Handel versus Kemp <laughs> is the Nathan Deal, I, I suppose. But, I mean, right now it doesn't look like as, as results are coming in, <laughs> anybody's going to see a surprise. No, not at all. And, 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 and even Cagle has been trying to downplay any talk that he would win this outright. Even a, a, a few months ago, he started trying to downplay that. Um, and I talked to him just yesterday, and he said, again, we're, we're already readying for a runoff. He hopes the runoff is against Kemp because he started attacking uh, former State Senator Hunter Hill uh, over the last week very overtly at debates, in campaign ads, I mean, in literature, things like that. Um, so he, he, he thinks that a matchup against Kemp is better for him. Yeah, I've heard that from people close to the Kegel campaign, that they've already got their attack ads ready to go and, and mail pieces against Kemp. They've been sending out text messages. I, I think it's his campaign. Most people suspect it is to voters on their list saying, uh, hey, Greg, your your Brian Kemp exposed your Social Security number. Click here for more information and uh, trying to play up the the disclosure of voter uh, data uh, a couple of years ago by Kennesaw State that Brian Kemp's office has taken ownership of. I, I think we're going to have a very nasty runoff between these two, and you're going to have Stacey Abrams over there raising a whole bunch of money and laying groundwork for November. Yep, it's going to be a nine-week chance for, for the Democrats to regroup, whoever the Democrat is, and to start focusing their attack on both the Republicans. Um, but I think for Cagle, um, getting, getting Kemp in the runoff really neutralizes the career politician line because both of them are statewide elected officers. Both of them serve in the state Senate. Both of them have long histories in, in, in public service. Whereas Hunter Hill has a much shorter stint in the state Senate, and of course there's a military background that I think the Cagles folks were a little bit more worried about that matchup. Yeah, I, I think so. Um, it, it's it's going to be a fascinating runoff dynamic for those two, and it'll be interesting to see if they hurt each other enough to give uh, Abrams an advantage. I still don't know that 2018 is going to be the year for Democrats in Georgia, though, unless there's a some sort of Roy Moore sort of scandal among the Republicans. Well, the fascinating thing about this race is, and I've said this a lot, but it's just it still kind of gets me is that uh, the Democrats for the first time aren't running a centrist or moderate. 
they're running uh, on the left flank of the party on issues from gun control to criminal justice, to economic reform, to, uh, to tax policy, to, to a host of issues. And we'll, we'll, we might have the chance, well, either way, either Democrat who wins, we'll have the chance to see what a truly sort of left, left, left-leaning candidate who overtly goes after progressive slash liberal issues uh, does to state politics. Because Jason Carter, you know, he, he's called for Medicaid expansion in some sort of left-leaning issues. But, you know, he made the campaign about it boosting education funding and called himself an NRA Democrat. Now we're seeing a very different sort of style of Democratic politician in Georgia. Yeah, and, and I, I noticed that you've got a lot of outside progressive groups now coming in, rallying to Stacey Abrams, yet again with this dream of turning Georgia blue. And I suspect they're going to try out some tactics here that they're going to then try to deploy elsewhere, either in November for the midterms or in 2020. Yeah, I don't think this would be like John Ossoff, where 90-plus percent of his, of his money came from outside the state. But already about two-thirds of Stacey Abrams' money is coming from outside the state. And there's been at least $2 million or so in spending from outside groups on TV ads alone. And these are groups like Emily's List, like uh, Planned Parenthood. Um, there's, a, there's a pack called Black Pack that's supporting her. Um, so, so you're starting to see the outside, outside money. But, of course, this race will be a little bit more distracted because there'll be, all those groups will be spending a ton of money elsewhere as well rather than just on one race like, like John Ossoff's here last year. Yeah, it's going to be a fascinating dynamic. Greg Bluestein from the AJC, thanks very much for joining me, and, and have fun tonight as, as the news starts shaping probably in Abrams' way. It'll be a fun place to be. Hey, thanks for having me. Absolutely. Greg Bluestein with the Atlanta Journal. In the next hour, we'll have Jim Galloway. We're taking your phone calls as well tonight, 404-872-0750, 1-800-WSB-TALK. Also want to check the radar for you in the northern part of the state now. Very, very messy all the way up uh, to the uh, Tennessee line. And it, basically the, the center of the state uh, from as far west as Douglasville to the east in Athens and then from north to south, you've just got this very, very, very heavy line of storms moving through Georgia. Uh, there about to be on top of I-20 on the east side. Uh, there's already some rain and lightning starting there, but the worst of it is still coming over there. Now, we've got votes trickling in throughout the state. A few counties have been have reported uh, completely. We've got six counties complete. Uh, we've got 45% of them uh, still partially reported, but 50.9% of the counties in Georgia have not even begun to uh, issue vote totals. Right now, as it stands, Casey Cagle, 41, Brian Kemp, 26 on the Republican side, 70-30, Abrams Evans on the Democratic side for lieutenant governor. Uh, Rick Jeffers is now ahead of Jeff Duncan. David Schaefer uh, in the lead right now, 43-30-26 in that regard. Uh, And then uh, I think this is a surprise shaping up. Um, Buzz Brockway and Josh McCoon in the state legislature are actually behind uh, Brad Raffensperger, who's actually probably the richest guy running for any office. He spent a lot of money uh, inside and outside the metro area, boosting his name ID. He's in first place. David Isle, the mayor of Alpharetta, he is in second place in the Secretary of State's race on the Republican side. John Barrow, the former Democratic congressman, he is is way ahead of anybody running for Secretary of State on the Democratic side uh, in Georgia. So we will keep an eye on these races. We've also got state legislative and congressional races on the ballot. Some contested primaries. We'll be breaking those down throughout the night. Uh, let's go on, step out for a break, and Chris Chandler will bring us the latest in the newsroom as well uh, as we continue looking at what happens 
Clintons, the metro area, no votes yet even trickling in in any of the major metropolitan counties. It is Eric Erickson. It is 25 after the hour. Joining me from the Kemp campaign over in Athens, Pete Combs, welcome. Hi, Eric. How are you? I'm good and good to hear your voice. Um, so what's happening over in the Kip campaign right now? Looks like they may be headed into a runoff. It looks that way. It sure looks like it's a two-man race at this point. You're looking at the numbers. I'm looking at the numbers. It shows that Casey Cagle, the lieutenant governor, with about 41.6% of the vote so far. But Kemp with a very strong 27.7%. Now, that puts him, as you know, into the runoff, if that were to be the final numbers. Hunter Hill is back there at 15.5%. And what's really interesting now when you look at the map is you see a lot of, of counties going for Cagle. But you also see a surprising number where Kemp actually leads in this race. I'm talking about upwards of maybe 10, almost a dozen counties, many of them in rural parts of Georgia, a lot of them in the eastern part of the state, but some down around uh, the Columbus area, a little bit south of there. I I thought it was notable that if you look at the counties that Kemp is doing very well in, many of them he has um, longstanding business relationships, even before he was in elected office in those. And then around the the Athens-Clark County area, the the Oconee, the Madison, Oglethorpe, Morgan, Jasper, Newton counties, he's doing very well in those counties around his home turf. Yeah, he really is. And you look at, uh, you mentioned Oconee County right now, 55.2%. He's in the lead now. Casey Cagle has only 24.2%. If you go over to Oglethorpe, right now 49% for Kemp and 35% for uh, Cagle. And one more thing, in Madison County, almost half the people whose votes have been counted so far are going for Brian Kemp, only about 30% going for Cagle. So those business relationships, Eric, certainly seem to be serving him well at this point. Yeah, definitely so. I, I'm, you know, in addition to low turnout uh, for Republicans in most of the state, it really doesn't seem like there really are a lot of surprises on the board tonight, either on the Democrat or Republican side. Maybe the Secretary of State's race out there, um, where the the perceived front runner isn't actually winning right now. But of course, we don't have the metro area coming in yet. None of the real metro areas are really coming in at this point. Although you're starting to see some start. Uh, trickling in from from Clark County here. Macon is out, Columbus, Savannah, Augusta, and of course, uh, Atlanta. So that obviously could change things significantly, not just in the Secretary of State's race, but also in the gubernatorial race. Right now here at Kemp headquarters in Athens, you mentioned this is one of his strongholds. Uh, People are lining up in front of the podium. We're expecting Kemp to come out and talk to us sometime in the next five or ten minutes. Don't have that yet. But as soon as we get that warning, I'll give that to you, and we might be able to get him on the air here. All right, Pete Holmes, thanks very much for checking in. You bet. Absolutely. Pete Holmes over in Athens. We'll be back. Results and analysis of the Georgia primary election and the race for governor on WSB. Welcome back. It is Eric Erickson, 39 after the hour. We've still got a good bit of rain in the metro area. The results are starting to come in. We're starting to get some metro counties in the area, including uh, Gwinnett County is, well, not in, but it's starting to come in. Uh, we've got, let's see, Rockdale County coming in, a number of other counties out there in the metro area, uh, including parts of uh, Cherokee County starting to come in as well. Let's go to the phones, 404-872-0750, 1-800-WSB-TALK. Craig and Monroe, you are up first. Welcome. Hello. Hi, Craig. Yep. On what you think about moving the election day from Tuesday when all the schools are open, banks are open, courts are open, 
to Saturday when a lot of those places are closed, and and that would give a lot more opportunity for people to vote. Uh, you know, so Craig, I grew up in Louisiana, and the primary was on a Saturday, um, typically, so it stimulated turnout. But uh, what they saw is that it didn't actually. I mean, the, the the turnout on a Tuesday wasn't much different from a turnout on a on a Saturday, even though Louisiana had Saturday elections for a while, and then Tuesday, it uh, you don't actually see a big difference. And a lot of people support it, though. I got to tell you, though, as someone who likes my weekends, uh, I don't want to come in and work on a Saturday to cover election results. So I'm a little biased. Maybe I'm not the best person to to ask about that. Now, uh, let me give you the lay of the land here where we are right now. We got partial results in Gwinnett, Cherokee, Clayton, uh, Rockdale, Newton, Walton, Barrow County. There, Hall County. We're starting to get results in from there. Uh, I can give you some percentages in the in the mix right now as these results come in. Uh, Casey Cagle, or I'm sorry, Brian Kemp definitely has a core of support around the Clark County area, which hasn't yet come in, but he's ahead in Madison, Oglethorpe, Wilkes County, Oconee, Morgan, Walton, Newton, Jasper, uh, even over in Harrelson County along the Alabama line, and then uh, Brantley and Charlton in, in Clinch County down in the south of the state. He's doing well there, but the majority of the state is Casey Cagle territory. Right now, Hunter Hill is ahead in Appling County in the south and Murray County in the north, but it's very close with Casey Cagle. By and large, Cagle is winning. Uh, he's ahead right now in Gwinnett County. He's ahead right now in uh, Rockdale County. Uh, and the results right now, we've got uh, 30% of the state is still out, including Fulton County. But it is Cagle at 40%, Kemp at 26 Hunter Hill at 16 Clay Tippins at 11 Michael Williams below 5% now, 4.9%. Uh, David Schaefer for Lieutenant Governor is ahead. Um, Jeff Duncan is in third place. Rick Jeffers in, at 27, J- Duncan at 25. Uh, and, you know, listen, I feel comfortable saying Stacey Abrams has won the Democratic primary, even though most of the metro isn't in. It is 71-28 right now with 61,892 votes. One of the most notable things here, I think, is that even though you have a number of these contested congressional elections on the Democratic side, we are not seeing major Democratic turnout. In fact, let me just give you some numbers so you can get it. And again, this is all preliminary. We've still got 30 percent out, but you can get a pattern here. 61,892 votes are in on the Democratic side for governor, 56,608 for lieutenant governor. Uh, 58,123 for Secretary of State. Uh, it, it's it, There's a method to my madness here. Um, you got 51,031 for Attorney General on the Democratic side, 49,962 for Agriculture Secretary, uh, 54,759 for Commissioner of Insurance on the Democratic side. What you're seeing is the votes fall from 61,892 for governor 
uh, trickling down when you get down to the very bottom of the Democrats' contested races to 54,000. Uh, the fall off of Democrats in those, uh, you're, you're, not seeing, uh, you're not seeing an overwhelming number of Democrats come out in the state for this primary tonight. Now, you're not seeing an overwhelming number of Republicans, relatively speaking, but it certainly is roughly a two-to-one advantage for Republicans in the primary. But the fall off is happening on the Republican side as well. You've got right now 132,236 votes cast for governor, and it falls off to 119,335 for lieutenant governor, goes down to 116 for secretary of state, um, and then it declines from there for some of these. you got 115 for insurance commissioner. Um, Jim Beck, by the way, winning. Uh, I didn't support him. Uh, I really like Jay Flores, but Jim Beck is dominating. He's got 61% of the vote right now for insurance commissioner. Um, so the fall off is real on both sides. Again, from 132,000 on the on the gubernatorial side, all the way down to 115 by the time you get to commissioner of insurance. What that also suggests is that you've got core supporters for groups like Jim Beck was the chairman of the Georgia Christian Coalition. He's got a, a built-in pool of support that the other candidates did not have. Um, and so that has sustained him for these low-attention races. Some of these other races, though, he, he this. It's pretty significant. The Georgia primary election. This is live continuing team coverage on WSB. Welcome back. It's Eric Erickson here. I'm going to, I'm, I've actually talked to the folks at Decision Desk HQ, which has just been uh, studying these races very hard. And I'm going to go on and tell you guys, uh, Stacey Abrams will be the Democratic nominee for governor in Georgia. It, it, there is just no way, uh, given the percentage votes, that there are votes there for Stacey Evans to be able to make a comeback. And joining me from the Abrams campaign headquarters is Veronica Waters. Hey, Veronica, how are you? Hey there, Eric. I'm fine. How are you? I'm good. So uh, the Decision Desk HQ people who have lined up with the Associated Press to call races, they've actually already called this race for Stacey Abrams. And wow. uh, they're telling me that there just aren't enough votes in Fulton County, which outstanding, even if if it were to come in um, with Evans as the advantage, there's just no offset that they can find around the state for her. And I think they're right looking at this. Uh, anywhere that Stacey Evans is winning, it's like 55-45. And anywhere Stacey Abrams is winning, it's about 70-30 charitably to Stacey Evans. Abrams has really wow. run a great race. Yeah, it has. it's been an interesting campaign to sort of watch from the sidelines. I haven't had a chance to really cover campaigns. As you know, we don't have a whole lot of staffers out here in, on the streets. But it's, it's interesting that both of these two Democratic candidates have sort of come at the race in a different way. Like Stacey Evans has said that she wants to reach out to moderate Republicans and see if she can woo more of those voters to her side, whereas Stacey Abrams has focused on not just the um, minority vote, the people of color, um, the people sort of always go to for Democratic votes, but also she wants to talk to disrespected Republican voters as well. And also the Democratic voters that she says sometimes have been ignored. There seems to be this, uh, this sort of expectation that people of color will vote for Democrats. But Cynthia Abrams has said on the campaign trail that a lot of black voters are getting overlooked. A lot of voters of all colors in rural communities are going overlooked and don't feel like they have people speaking for them. And so this is the coalition, part of what what the coalition is that she's trying to build. She's also gotten some really heavy-hitting endorsements 
from big Democratic names, Cory Booker, Kamala Harris, Bernie Sanders, Hillary Clinton. A lot of people on the national front are backing Stacey Abrams in this race. And so it doesn't surprise me um, with what's been going on and, and how the boots on the ground have been uh, sounding today that they might be calling the race this early for Abrams. It, it looks like it. Veronica, thanks very much. We'll check in with you later. I sure appreciate it. Veronica Waters Absolutely. with the Abrams campaign. We will be back. Georgia primary live team coverage of the results from Chris Chandler and the WSB radio news team plus insight and analysis from Eric Erickson. It is 10 after the hour here in Atlanta, Georgia, as results are beginning to pick up steam coming in and we still have a lot of rain in the metro area. And right now joining me from the Atlanta Journal Constitution, Jim Galloway. Welcome. How are you? Hey, Eric, how are you doing? I'm doing fine. I'm a little little ragged for, this is what, hour number 14, but who, who cares? You know? Yeah, now I, I've seen some national outlets already say that uh, th- they might as well go on and call Stacey Abrams the winner, and I, I'm, I'm looking at the way results are coming in around the state, and I think I probably agree with some of these national groups, including uh, BuzzFeed and Decision Desk, saying she's probably, well, they're already saying she's definitely the winner tonight on the Democratic side. Well, she, she, she just, she just declared it herself on her own facebook page yeah we don't we, news organizations haven't 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 dipped into this but she's she's had this she's had a uh uh the last uh let me see the last peak i took at the election return she was leading 72 with 72 percent of the vote in right she's uh, now up to 74 i just refreshed yeah and and that's that's, that's even even though you haven't seen it's, it's say, the big counties come in that's a that's a heck of a lead right now yeah, very much so. What I also think is interesting is that in the counties that Evans has won, it's been roughly 55-45, and in the counties Abrams is winning, it's like 75-25. Right, right. And it's, it's, it's uh, you know, it's, it's, it's the, uh, this is the advantage that comes when you have, you have all these national groups coming in and turning, out to, uh, turning on the TV spigot for you. Right. I mean, she, only, she, only, she only raised half a million dollars. Uh, she only spent half a million dollars on TV. Uh, she says she sent, spent the rest out on on GOTV. Uh, we'll have to we'll have to see how, how that works out. Yeah, you know, Jim, I want to pivot to something because I, I know you've kept an eye on these and, and have written about these. You've got the, for example, the the Matt Gertler race up in North Georgia. It looks like he's winning against um, Mickey does, Cummings right it? now. Yeah, 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 yeah. Something like fifty fifty eight percent. Right. On the other hand, on the other hand, uh, David Ralston is also the House Speaker is also winning his primary right. uh, by an even larger mar- margin. Yeah, what so, I find interesting, so, and I didn't realize it till, towards the end of the race, is you had these uh, the Chamber of Commerce group, the, the Georgia Work Group, I forget the name of it, targeting a number of these conservatives in the House and Senate, and thus far it looks like the only one who's in danger of losing tonight would be the incumbent Jason Spencer down there on the, the Florida line. The others, looks like the incumbent's mostly holding their own against those attacks everywhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And if Jason Spencer loses, that would be interesting because you know he, I mean, he had he fought the good fight on on this child molestation legislation. Uh, he got Camden County a, a, a launching pad for 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 its for its its space uh, uh, its space ambitions. Right. Uh, to see him go away, that would be that would be that would be that would be uh, that would be rather surprising. By the way, I, I, I'm I'm looking at a, a statement from the uh, uh, Stacey Evans. Press, press secretary, they're not conceding at all in the governor's race yet. Right. He's saying only 10% of the counties are reporting, although it's probably a little bit up, uh, above that right now. 
but they are, you know, they are behind the closed doors, and that's usually not a good sign. Right now, I, I I've saved this question for you because you're the one guy I wanted to ask this to. Is I it looks like it's going to be Brian Kemp, Casey Cagle. We're not completely sure yet, but that seems to be the trajectory. I'm wondering. If it goes as nasty as I expected to go, um, will Abrams have any level of advantage over that? Is there pouring money in to try to claim the Republican mantle? Well, you know, it depends. It, 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 I've got this scenario cooking in my mind where you've got you've got. It looks like uh, David Schaefer could be drawn into a runoff. He's he's doing pretty well in the lieutenant governor's race, mm-hmm. but you know, you've seen some questions being asked both at Cagle and at Schaefer. You know, where do you get your money? How do you make your living? And that that has you know to me those the Brian Kemp asked that in the in the in the very last in the WSB debate, right. I believe. And and that's a very that's a very interesting question to be posing uh, to, to to a leading candidate to to a, to a fellow who's been in government as long as Casey Cagle has right. has, has been. Uh, so it could it could get it could get if it gets nasty that way. There's a possibility. I still think. I still think that Abrams's her personal finances. You know, the one thing that Stacey Evans did not do, she did not touch Stacey Abrams on her personal finances right. and on those problems. Republicans won't hesitate to do that. Yeah, they, they will do. Yeah, I, I'm and actually. Then, I'm kind of surprised. It, in I, 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 Evans ran a very personal story campaign, but she really didn't go on the attack in, in ways I thought she could have. Right, right, and then you have then you have the 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 the, the, the Stone Mountain uh, issue, mm-hmm. which you know, I mean, I mean, imagine the, the video. Even if even if say Casey Cagle or Brian Kemp don't, don't they don't use that personally, you know, there's going to be a, a a a black money group that's going to come in with the video of somebody blowing up Stone Mountain. Yeah, very much so. Uh, very much so. It's going to be interesting to see with this Democratic coalition of uh, urban minority voters and highly educated white voters, uh, how badly it spooks uh, the suburban voters who go both ways, like in the 6th Congressional District. Um, yeah, and, and, and look, you know, if Mueller does what he's going to do in, in, in September, as, as we've heard in the last couple of days, there could be a tremendous backlash in Georgia mm-hmm. on that. Yeah, I, I, it's interesting to me. You know, you know, you you say that, and you, when you look at the generic ballot, and, and I don't put too much stock in it before Labor Day, but there has been this trend as the president's popularity has inched up slowly. The Republican popularity on the generic ballot has gone up, uh, and now suddenly you've got this story today that Reuters, for the first time, the generic ballot, the Republicans are ahead by a point. Uh, I, 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 everyone seems to have wanted to write the book on 2018 already, and I don't think the book is ready to be written. No, no. No, not at all. Not at all. Uh, let me see. What other surprise? You know, uh, oh, here, this one I wanted to ask you about. Uh, Jay Florence is not doing so well. In no, the he's not. State Insurance Commissioner. Yeah, and it, uh, so and Jim Beck, the I didn't realize he was the, the former or current head of the Georgia Christian Coalition. He's he's definitely got a base of activists out there. Ralph Hudgens came out very strongly for Jay Florence. as denies he's not doing very well out there. You know, I actually talked to his campaign a couple of weeks ago, and, and one thing I, I told him is that, you know, for these low-ballot races— uh, they, they don't have any visible presence anywhere in the state. You go everywhere, you see Jim Beck signs, and they said we didn't buy a single sign. Yeah, and 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 Jay Florence had the had, had he had the industry backing. Yeah, in this race. Yeah, it's and, it's not looking good for him at all in that. Uh, it, uh, I think Beck had him by seventy thousand votes. Yeah, already. Well, yeah, and, and while the metro isn't coming in, if those trend lines hold up, it's going to be Beck without. Or he may be one of the few Republicans in multi-person races to get out of this without a runoff.
Right, right, right. And then the other one that I'm looking at is is John Barrow in Secretary of State. Yes, uh, making an interesting comeback. And on the other side, on the other side, Josh McCoon not doing well at all. You know, that race probably, Chris Chandler and I were talking about that here, it actually really surprises me. Uh, Raffensperger, I know, probably has a higher net worth and spent more money than most of the other candidates out there, uh, particularly in that race, doing very, very well. And I'd never even heard of the guy up until a few weeks ago. I noticed some of his signs. You know, well, it's it's strange that you would say that. Uh, he's a client of uh, Mark Roundtree, Landmark Communications. Mm-hmm. I was talking to, to Mark of, of, about this maybe three three weeks ago, maybe four weeks ago, and you know, I, I told Mark, you know, I, I've seen Raffensperger's signs all over my neighborhood in West Cobb, and he says that's deliberate. The guy had a very very hard name to pronounce, so we very specifically overordered on yard signs throughout the state. Well, it looks like I'm usually dismissive of yard signs, but I think between that and the Jim Beck situation, it's probably helped those guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. But uh, but but think think on on the Democratic side. Think of a, a pairing of Stacey Abrams and John Barrow on the same ticket. That will be a very interesting one. Jim, I've got to leave you there. Thank you very much for calling in. All right. Enjoy talking with you. You too. Jim Galloway from the AJC. We'll be back. The Race for Governor. Continuing team coverage. Live now on WSB. Eric Erickson here, 26 after the hour. No surprises thus far in the top races. Casey Cagle, Brian Kemp in the lead on the Republican side headed into a runoff. Uh, Stacey Abrams has won the Democratic primary. Stacey Abrams will be the Democratic nominee for governor in Georgia. If she won, she would be the first African-American female ever elected governor in the United States. Uh, but Republicans have an advantage here. Casey Cagle, the big advantage, and Sandra Parrish joins me from his campaign. Welcome. And Eric, I have here with me Casey Cagle himself. Casey, the numbers are looking great for you. They have been all night long. How are you feeling at this moment? Well, obviously, we're very encouraged and excited. Um, we're in a great spot, a first-place position, which we knew we were going to be or felt like we would at least. And uh, really, the trend lines are holding up. Um, you know, when you look at some of the metro counties, obviously, that's yet to come in. So we're um, anticipating a little bit of bump. Fulton, in particular, is uh, showing pretty promising at this point. But it's early in the night. A lot of numbers yet to come in. Uh, but obviously, it looks really, really good. And we felt all along that it was, we, we knew where, who the second-place finisher was going to be, and, um, and we were going to be in a runoff. And so we're gonna, we'll be ready tomorrow. Well, let me ask you, so are you going to be doing anything differently going into a runoff if, in fact, you are in one? Well, obviously, we, we will be at a runoff at this point. Uh, but in, in the end, a lot of our things that we have done is just, you know, redoubling down on uh, really our message across the state uh, and working just a little bit harder. We think a lot of the votes that uh, obviously some of the – I mean, it was very, very crowded, a lot of money that was spent. And, you know, there was some, some misinformation that was placed out there. Uh, so we'll, we'll rectify much of that. And, of course, the team will – get get together and uh, circle up tomorrow and we'll see what uh, what they come up with. Thank you so much. That's Casey Cagle joining us live here in Gainesville tonight. And Eric, it's been, you can't imagine the uh, excitement of the crowd every time those numbers are updated. And that, like you said, I think a lot of people were anticipating that it would be a runoff between him and Brian Kemp. And obviously we'll wait and see uh, how those numbers play out. Well, it is, it's going to be a fascinating dynamic in the runoff now. Hope he gets some rest. Last I talked to him the other day, he was rather hoarse. So he'll have a good oh, night. He's, looking, he's sounding good and looking in great spirits tonight. So he could be running on adrenaline at this point. Uh, <laughs> Probably but he's so. Doing, he's doing quite well. So. Well, Sandra Paris, thank you very much for joining us. 
Okay, thanks, Eric. Yep, absolutely. Sandra Paris with Casey Cagle. Results and analysis of the Georgia primary election and the race for governor on WSB. Welcome back. It is Eric Erickson here. It is 40 after the hour, and we will follow up um, as the speeches unfold tonight. Brian Kemp, Stacey Abrams, uh, Stacey Evans as well, possibly speaking. Uh, everyone now, the news media, is finally getting on board and declaring Stacey Abrams uh, to be the winner of the Democratic primary here in Georgia. Um, she will go on to face either Brian Kemp or Casey Cagle, it appears, um, we still don't quite know, and the main reason we don't know is the metro area still has a large number of votes outstanding. Um, so we will we'll see as those votes come in. Now we we've been paying attention here to a number of other races out there that I think are are rather interesting races to consider because there has been a very organized effort on the part of the Chamber of Commerce in Georgia to beat a number of conservatives statewide uh, in various state house and state senate races. And right now it appears um, that these conservatives are pushing back the tide. Matt Gertler, uh, with 100% of the vote in in his area, has beaten Mickey Cummings, it appears. That's probably the most interesting race because Governor Deal and Speaker Ralston both went up to northeast Georgia. His district is the Helen area, Hiawassee, up there in the northeast corner of the state. Uh, Governor Deal and Speaker Ralston went there to campaign for the opponent, Mickey Cummings, who they had selected to beat Matt Gertler. Gertler looks like he's going to hang on. There is a very close race shaping up right now between Sherry Gilligan and Joanna Cloud in uh, Forsyth County. Uh, Gilligan is the incumbent uh, conservative. A developer association and, and some of the tax hikers on the Republican side have been pushing for um, Joanna Cloud, a tight race up there. Uh, my buddy Sam Thomas running against the incumbent Tommy Benton in District 31 is still early, but Benton is ahead. Uh, and then David Stover, another one of these Republicans who is being uh, challenged by the uh, Republican establishment and the Chamber of Commerce, looks like he's going to be winning his race. Now, one of the other very interesting uh, state legislative races in the metro area has been Betty Price versus Jerry Wood there in the Roswell area. Betty Price, the wife of Tom Price, uh, made news several times this past year in the state legislature with some foot-and-mouth issues, uh, telling one of the the advocates of the text-and-drive bill who had lost her husband to someone who was texting and driving that she voted against it because the chairman of the committee had not supported a piece of her legislation that made headlines. But it looks like right now, with the vote coming in, uh, Betty Price is probably going to keep that seat. Uh, where we have the lay of the land right now, uh, Lieutenant Governor Casey Cagle has 38.8% of the vote with 361,000 votes cast. Brian Kemp is at 26.63%. Hunter Hill at 17%. Clay Tippins has broken into double digits with 11.9% of the vote. Michael Williams not even at 5% right now. We have 50.9% of all counties and precincts completed. That's 1,241 of the 2,633. 42% have partially reported. We are still waiting on 6.9% 
of the counties out there to begin reporting. Now, what counties aren't reporting? Um, Paulding County in the metro area is not reporting. Floyd County, that's Rome, isn't reporting. Uh, then Emanuel County down near Savannah is not reporting. Eccles County and Thomas County, where Thomasville are down on the, the Florida line and Mitchell County down there, haven't reported. Stewart County isn't reporting. And then in the mid-state, Spalding and Butts County have not reported. Um, so we're waiting for those votes to come in to try to get a sense of this. However, uh, what we're getting right now is it looks like in the metro area, Casey Cagle, Brian Kemp continuing to do well. However, in the Fulton County area where he had been a state representative, Hunter or state senator, rather Hunter Hill is right now doing better than Brian Kemp in the Fulton County area. It is uh, in Fulton County. It's 37% Cagle, 25 Hill, 18 Kemp. Uh, 16 Tippins, three for Michael Williams. And again, if you take the Clay Tippins, a lot of the data I've seen from outside groups and even from campaigns has se- suggested that Clay Tippins voters would be Hunter Hill voters. And this is one of those examples where it does appear that Clay Tippins probably is hurting uh, Hunter Hill more than anyone else in Fulton County. That being said, um, it looks, frankly, that if Clay Tippins isn't necessarily an anchor on Hunter Hill across the board, uh, because uh, Brian Kemp is having a very strong showing. Also, I just got a text message from a buddy of mine, uh, Ken Pullen, uh, down in the Upson County area, has beaten the incumbent Johnny Caldwell down there. Good for Ken Pullen. Uh, I was rooting for him. Um, Greg Dozal up in Forsyth County for the state Senate appears right now to be ahead in that race. Uh, one of the more interesting ones is Jim Beck, the, uh, running for commissioner of insurance. He's at 60%. He may be one of the few people to get out of having a runoff who is in a multi-way race. Uh, he and John Barrow, the secretary of state for the democratic nominee, are having a very strong showing in his race. Most of these races where there are more than two people, it looks like we're headed into runoffs on both sides. Those seem to be two of the exceptions to the rule. Um, let me see if I can get some of the, the other. David Schaefer, depending on how the metro area does, may be a third one. He's at 47% of the vote right now. Uh, Rick Jeffers and Jeff Duncan, both around, uh, well, Jeffers at 26, Duncan at 25%. And then in the Secretary of State's race, I'm with Chris Chandler. This one actually surprises me. Uh, Josh McCoon has had a very strong showing um, on TV and radio. He had a lot of popular support. He had a lot of support in the Senate. And he and Buzz Brockway, who had a lot of support among his House colleagues, are being left behind by Brad Raffensperger and David Belisle, the mayor of Alpharetta. Uh, Belisle and Raffensperger, uh, Raffensperger at 35%, Belisle at 28%. Uh, This goes back to something Jim Galloway said. Uh, You know, uh, Jay Florence, who I was supporting uh, pretty aggressively for insurance commissioner, as was Ralph Hudgens, the incumbent insurance commissioner, um, he told me that his campaign decided not to uh, put any yard signs out. And in these lower name races, uh, I think that a guy like Raffensperger really benefited from a high sign presence, as did Jim Beck. Their names were memorable. Their signs were good. Beck had one of the best campaign commercials this season uh, for anyone. And that has definitely benefited them. It has benefited them through increasing their name ID. Raffensperger signs were all over the North Metro area, even though he didn't have a ton of media buys. 
Uh, and these lower races have always been about name ID. These candidates largely fly, fly blind. The polling is never very accurate. Um, and it looks like we may very well see these guys. Now, there are still enough votes out there that could affect that 53% outstanding uh, for the precincts coming in. But right now, we do know for certain Stacey Abrams is going to be the Democratic nominee. Uh, we're going to step out and check the newsroom and see what else is happening out there in the elections. 89 of the 159 counties in Georgia have completed their reporting. That's 53%, 39% have partially re- reported, 6.9% still no reports at all into the Secretary of State system. Uh, a lot of times people have been asking me, why is it that some counties take so long? Um, well, let me pull up the, the ones that haven't reported anything so you have a sense of this. Uh, we've got Floyd and Paulding and Stevens... Uh, Butts and Spalding County in the mid-state, Emanuel and Evans towards the coast, Eccles, Thomas, Mitchell uh, along the the southern part of the state and Stewart County in the southwest. Uh, and a lot of times these they're actually reporting, but for some reason they're not connecting into the system. Uh, so you've got people on the ground there who are participating. Now, in our metro area, let me tell you the ones that have completed counting. Uh, Barrow County, Oconee County, Rockdale County, Fayette County, um, those have been, uh, Dawson County, those are complete. All the votes are in in those counties. Uh, Still counting is um, Cherokee County, Cobb County, Douglas County, Fulton County, Clayton County, Henry County, Uh, Newton County, Walton County, Gwinnett County, Hall County, Forsyth County, Jackson County. And the Paulding County has not reported uh, any results at all. Uh, And that may very well be a a technical difficulty. Carroll County has come in completely. Douglas County, Coweta County, they're still coming in, as is Meriwether County uh, and Henry County. So we're getting uh, those results slowly but surely as they come in. Uh, when we come back, uh, there are party questions on the Democratic ballot, and it gives you an idea of where the Democratic Party in Georgia wants to head in campaign 2018 with their nominee, Stacey Abrams, who will be battling either Casey Cagle or Brian Kemp, it appears, as the race shapes up tonight. Welcome back. It is Eric Erickson here. We are expecting Lieutenant Governor Casey Cagle to speak at the bottom of the hour. He will be going into a runoff with Secretary of State Brian Kemp. The two statewide office holders uh, are the two. Now, let me give you the lay of the land here. Uh, 75% of counties in Georgia are now complete. 21% are mostly done, 4% have not reported. That doesn't mean they're not counting. It means they're having technical difficulties transmitting to the Secretary of State's office. Uh, For greater perspective, we've got 118 of the 159 counties are complete. Now, uh, how does this look thus far in the lay of the land? Well, most of the state is Brian Kemp territory, or I'm sorry, Casey Cagle territory. Most of the state is Cagle territory. Hunter Hill um, has been winning two counties, Glenn County, uh, that was roughly tied, uh, Cagle, Hunter Hill, both 28%, uh, Appling County, which is um, toward near Waycross, and then um, you got Crawford County right now is actually tied Cagle-Kemp together. 
Um, Casey Cagle has won broadly the state, but Brian Kemp, it's almost, dare I describe it as Pac-Man. Um, Casey Cagle has the bulk of the state to the west, the north, the south, and then a good chunk of the east. But there is a line down from the Elbert Lincoln County areas uh, down all the way towards the Butts County area uh, where um, Brian Kemp is winning. And then Twiggs County, Bleckley County, Pulaski County, Dooley County, Dodge County, Telfair County, Wheeler County, Bacon County, Pierce County, Wayne County, Brantley County, Camden County, Charlton County, Clinch County, Berrien County, Webster County, Randolph County, and, and Harrelson County. Now, what is this? This is the, the, the rural parts of the state that have agricultural infrastructure overwhelmingly are going for Brian Kemp. The rest of the state going for Casey Cagle. The problem for Cagle, though, overall, is let me back out of the the county-by-county county things and, and give you the percentages here uh, of these races. He's uh, Brian Kemp right now managing to keep Casey Cagle below 40%. Uh, it's 38% Cagle. It is 26% Kemp. Uh, 18% Hunter Hill. And uh, 12% Clay Tippins. It is a, I will not say that it is fair to say Clay Tippins uh, has kept Hunter Hill out of the runoff. And the reason I will say that uh, is because you can't guarantee that 100% of Clay Tippins' vote would go to Hunter Hill. He certainly impacted Hunter Hill in the uh, Fulton County area. Um, Hunter Hill, I think, would have won Fulton County. Um, or at least come in second in Fulton County. Now, the vote's still coming in, just so you know. Um, but it is right now 3428 Cagle Hill in Fulton County. Uh, that is Atlanta and Johns Creek, Sandy Springs. Uh, Brian Kemp at 17%. Clay Tippins at 16%. Uh, Clay Tippins has dramatically cut into the lead there. And if you give um, Hunter Hill uh, even half of Clay Tippins' vote in Fulton County, he would be he would have won Fulton County. Uh, Tippins has served as an anchor and a spoiler in a number of areas for um, for Hunter Hill in the metro area. Same in DeKalb County. Uh, Clay Tippins got 18 percent. Kemp 19 percent. Hunter Hill 21 percent. Uh, Casey Cagle 37 percent. You give uh, half of Tippins' vote to Hunter Hill, he he does exceedingly well there. Uh, same in Cobb County, where um, Hunter Hill got 22 and Clay Tippins got 16%. Uh, Brian Kemp got 21%. These metro areas uh, really, Clay Tippins hurt Hunter Hill. Um, that is a quite obvious thing that has happened, but uh, it would not have been enough given the breakdown of the rest of the state. The rest of the state went fairly well, uh, Cagle and Kemp consistently in the lead. Now, one race we got to pay attention to is the lieutenant governor's race. Right now, David Schaefer uh, has 48% of the vote. There's still 25% of the vote outstanding. David Schaefer could get out of the lieutenant governor's race without having a runoff. Uh, it is very possible. There will be a runoff for Secretary of State, probably between David Bellal and Brad Raffensperger. More on these and the Democratic questions when we come back here um, after our next break. No real surprises tonight in the major statewide races for governor. We've got 77% of the vote in now. We are 
Uh, we've got 4% hasn't even started. That's a technical issue. They're actually counting. Uh, they're just not feeding them into the state uh, Secretary of State system. It looks like maybe we'll get to 600,000 Republican votes cast. Basically, we're looking at almost double the number of votes cast for Republicans from Democrats uh, in the way the trajectory is going here. Uh, the Democrats having the strong showing for Stacey Abrams, 75% for Stacey Abrams. Uh, but there aren't any surprises, really. We, we kind of figured it was going to be Kemp and Cagle on the Republican side and Abrams on the Democratic side. Uh, what is a surprise is in the lieutenant governor's race for the Republicans, David Schaefer has a chance of getting to 50% and getting out of a runoff with 78% of the vote cast. Um, he's at 48.66%. Uh, right now, it looks like Jeff Duncan, if there's a runoff, would be going with Schaefer into the runoff. Um, uh, beyond those races, it, Jim Beck will be the Republican insurance commissioner. Uh, and then this race surprises me, the Secretary of State's race. David Belisle and Brad Raffensperger uh, looks like they will be making a runoff together. Buzz Brockway and Josh McCoon out of the race. Um, Brockway in fourth, uh, Josh McCoon in third. Belisle, the mayor of um, Alpharetta, Brad Raffensperger, who is the uh, a state representative. And John Barrow, the former Democratic congressman, uh, over 50 percent for Democratic um, nomination for secretary of state. He'll be facing one of those guys. Uh, Jim Beck at 60 percent for insurance commissioner. Um, those are the real big races that are out there. Now, th there are some public service commission races out there. Trisha Pridemore, who had been appointed by the governor, um, has been uh, in a highly contested race there for insurance for uh, the Public Service Commission. It looks like she'll be pulling off a victory there as the incumbent. And then, of course, you've got all of these interesting uh, races in the state legislature where the Chamber of Commerce, the governor, the uh, Speaker of the House were rallying to try to defeat some conservatives. Matt Gertler up in Northeast Georgia, uh, State House District 8 has won 60% of the vote, though the governor and the Speaker of the House both cam came in to campaign for him. Uh, Sherry Gilligan is beating Joanna Cloud in the District 24 of the State House. Now let's go back to Chris Chandler. Brian Kemp's about to speak. Uh, well, I should say good night instead of good evening. It is eight past the hour here at WSB in Atlanta. The race is shaping up. Uh, no surprises in the governor's races. Uh, surprises are shaping up, though, lower on the races. For example, Lieutenant Governor uh, David Schaefer with 87% of the vote in is at 48.6%, close to the 50% marker to keep him out of runoff. It appears he may be in a runoff with Jeff Duncan, a uh, state senator from North Georgia. On the Secretary of State's race, this may be the biggest surprise of the night on the Republican side. Uh, Josh McCoon perceived as the front runner in that race, uh, coming in third. Buzz Brockway, state representative in Gwinnett County, coming in fourth. Uh, it looks like the race will be between Brad Raffensperger and David Belle Isle uh, for Secretary of State. Uh, Raffensperger right now 35% to David Belle Isle 28%. The other interesting races out there uh, that we need to pay a little bit of attention to are those state house races and state senate races where the Chamber of Commerce uh, very aggressively tried to defeat conservatives in the state. It looks like the uh, Republican conservatives will be able to hold their own. The, the only one who appears to be uh, losing tonight is Jason Spencer down in way south Georgia along the Florida line. 
And those, I'm told by a number of people in the know, were all local issues, had nothing to do with the Chamber of Commerce in that regard. Um, up in Forsyth County, though, there was the heavily contested seat to replace um, uh, Michael Williams. And Michael Williams, it doesn't look like it benefited any from the turnout in Forsyth County. Greg Dozal has won that race with 59% of the vote. Greg Dozal versus Bill Fielder and Brian Tam. Dozal, with 100% of the vote counted, uh, got 59% of the vote. Greg Dozal up there, good guy, uh, glad to support him. Marty Harbin also looks like he will get by without the Chamber of Commerce attacks on him doing anything. Now, I do, Dozal got 59% of the vote up there in Forsyth County. Uh, what is interesting to me is that in this race in Forsyth County, Michael Williams, that's his home base. You would have thought he would have gotten a pulse there. He never broke double digits uh, in Forsyth County, or at least he hasn't. He's on the cusp right now of getting to 10%, but in Forsyth County, he's still in last place. Uh, Casey Cagle, 41 uh, Brian Kemp, 22. Hunter Hill, 14.9. Clay Tippins, 11.9. And Michael Williams, 9.3% in his home county. Uh, that should give you an idea of how poorly uh, that campaign performed and how off message it went. And one of my concerns all along with the Michael Williams campaign has been he wanted to run as the guy who endorsed Donald Trump when no one else would. And that may get him, well, it didn't even get him a lot of support from Trump voters, but he lost, uh, guaranteed losing a significant portion of the vote in those counties. you got to remember that places like Fulton, Gwinnett, Cobb, Henry, Douglas, uh, I think even uh, Cherokee County and a couple others, they all went for Rubio. Uh, they did not go. Trump may have won George overall, but he lost the metro and suburban Republican counties. And that's where Michael Williams was running. Um, it, it it was more or less a waste of money. He, I mean, he's he probably, maybe if he's lucky, he'll break 30,000 votes cast out of potentially 575,000, 600,000 votes. Uh, the other thing to look at in these races is the huge drop-off between Republicans and Democrats. Right now, there are 89% of the vote has been counted. And Republicans have cast 565,000 and Democrats have cast 478,000. Um, there's roughly a one, it will be about a 100,000 vote margin between Democrats and Republicans in the Republican favor in Georgia. That's pretty significant. There was also a pretty sizable drop-off on the Republican side uh, between the governor's race and the lieutenant governor's race. 565,000 votes cast for governor. One race down was lieutenant governor, 510,000 cast. On the Democratic side, it's 478,000 for governor, 433,000 for lieutenant governor. That's fairly normal in those situations, but it's still a, a pretty significant drop. And it goes down the further down the, the ballot you get. Now, in some of the other contested races out there, um, the state House, state Senate, uh, Matt Gertler up in northeast Georgia, the governor actually went and did a fundraiser for his opponent. The Speaker of the House went to a fundraiser for his opponent. Uh, Matt Gertler has beaten the governor. Matt Gertler has beaten the Speaker of the House. Matt Gertler has beaten his opponent. Uh, David Ralston, yes, he beat uh, 74 to 25 Margaret Williamson. I didn't even realize he had an opponent up there. Uh, but Gertler, 
uh, got 60% of the vote to Mickey Cummings, uh, who was chosen and backed by the chamber and, and the like. And we're seeing the chamber go down in flames against conservatives across the state. Um, and what's going to happen is I think you're going to see uh, much more aggress- uh, an aggressive posture from these conservatives around the state uh, who were challenged. Uh, Sherry Gilligan right now um, has won 60% to 39% up in Forsyth County against the the developer back, Joanna Cloud. The bad, bad night in Forsyth County for the developers, by the way. Very bad night for developers up there. Uh, they've been pushing for a change in, in election. Uh, my buddy Sam Thomas, though, did lose to Tommy Bitten over in District 31. That's uh, the Jackson County area. Um, but then you had a, a great pickup, Ken Pullen beating Johnny Caldwell uh, down in the Upson County area. So got a good uh, incumbent loss there, for, uh, pickup for a conservative, which is good. We're seeing this pattern play out across the state, though, where these business-oriented interests, big business, not small business, big business, Chamber of Commerce types, uh, they went in and they played hard against some of these people who were opposed to tax increases, and the chamber got beat. Uh, the governor got beat. The Speaker of the House got beat. Uh, that is a very, very significant night for conservatives in Georgia in that respect. Now, the guy conservatives in the legislature were rallying around, though, Hunter Hill, won't be making it into the primary. Uh, Hunter Hill uh, losing out to Brian Kemp for second place. The question is, did Clay Tippins hurt Hunter Hill overall? Now that we have more of the vote come, come in, um, let me, I want to, I want to run this number real quick. Um, Yes. Yes, I think it's safe to say at this point that Clay Tippins did hurt Hunter Hill. And the reason being, uh, if I give half of Clay Tippins' vote to Hunter Hill, uh, he gets to 24%. Brian Kemp right now at 25.8%. Um, Plus or minus uh, a percentage or so there. Yeah, I definitely think Clay Tippins had a real impact on Hunter Hill um, coming in second place. Certainly Hunter Hill would have won the metro Atlanta area, or at least come in second in the metro Atlanta area, uh, not Brian Kemp, had Clay Tippins been off the ballot. Uh, so Tippins there coming in third with 12% of the vote, made it to double digits, something Michael Williams didn't do. Um, he definitely hurt Hunter Hill. Uh, there has been a perception from some that maybe uh, Clay Tippins was running to help Casey Kickle. I don't think that's true. Some people have thrown that out at me tonight on social media. I don't actually think that's true at all. Um, so we're going to have uh, Casey Kegel versus Brian Kemp in a Republican runoff. We will have Stacey Abrams being the Democrats gubernatorial candidate. She has been willing, even in her speech tonight, to be aggressively liberal. And I think that hurts her. Um, the The Democrats in Georgia, I think Jim Galloway is why, right. Uh, you're going to see Republicans in Georgia have a backlash uh, a pro-Trump backlash. I think it's coming. They have felt very uh, under fire for a year now. In Georgia, the Democrats have gone far left. They think that uh, being far left on gun control, abortion rights, gay rights, transgender rights, uh, against capitalism and alike, that that will help them nationwide. You have groups that support slave reparations and confiscation of guns coming into Georgia to help Stacey Abrams. I believe there will be a backlash. I think Jim Galloway is right. In a place like Georgia, where Democrats potentially could have made inroads, um, the far left 
pivot of the Democratic Party in Georgia is going to be very, very bad for them. These races are shaping up. I'm going to step out of here for the rest of the night now. I'll be back tomorrow. We did get a chance to cover the prior, uh, the party questions for the Democratic Party in Georgia. We'll get to those tomorrow night to give you a sense of where things are shaping up. But for now, for the newsroom, for everybody here at WSB, I'm Eric Erickson. This has been our coverage of Georgia Votes, uh, the 2018 primary.